0: Today on Let's Grab a Cup, I sat down with Matthew and Christina Degas. Matthew Degas was a police officer in La Mesa, California. And in 2020, Matthew was involved in a use of force incident, which ultimately went viral and caused Matthew to lose his job. And he was ultimately prosecuted and put on trial. Now, no spoiler alert here, Matthew was found not guilty. But their story is one of true redemption. Now, Matthew and Christina have been fighting for the last year to not only to not only get the not guilty verdict, which they did, and I'm really proud of them for doing that, but now they're fighting to get Matthew's job back. If you'd like to donate, I'm going to put the uh, link to their website in the show notes, and it's uh, you can find them on Instagram at clearofficerdagas. So I really hope you guys get something out of this interview and um, learn something new. Every time I talk about this story, it seems like I'm I'm uh, telling somebody for the first time, so I hope uh, all those who are listening uh, get something from this and then uh, reach out to them on Instagram, clearofficerdagas.com or on their uh, website to donate. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to Let's Grab a Cup Podcast, where we talk about leadership, authenticity, resiliency. We provide a place to hold space for one another. I'm your host, Adam Sturgeon. So why don't you grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever suits you at this moment. Let's dive in. All right, my name is Adam Sturgeon, and this is the Let's Grab a Cup podcast. Um, I'm sitting here with Matthew and Christina Degas, who um, are in Southern California. Matthew was a police officer in La Mesa for about two and a half years when um, he got into a use of force uh, with an individual, and that caused a long legal battle, and um, eventually, he ended up losing his job for the same um, use of force. And right now, uh, both of them have been out just trying to push his message out and get Matthew reinstated with LaMesa. And right now, we're going to just talk about what happened and how it's been for, for them going through this whole situation. So I appreciate you both being on this morning. Thank you very much for coming in.
1: Yeah, Thanks, Adam. It's, it's
0: an honor. I say coming in, but I mean, we're on Zoom. So I mean, you really don't have to go very far. <laughs> So, um, all right, well, let's just kind of dig in. I'm, I'm really curious about, I know people, we'll get into the case a little bit, but I'm really curious about both of your, like your upbringing and where you guys came from, you know, how you, how you got together. But even before that, you know, why, I don't know what you did, what you do, why do you want to be a police officer? And then also Christina, like where you came from, how you guys kind of got,
2: kind of came together.
1: Off or? um yeah i'll kick us off so we're both san diego natives um which you don't hear about too often but our families are here uh so we've both been raised in this community love san diego um and you know we both kind of come from a long long lineage of military service members and law enforcement as well so we kind of always joke that like service is in our dna um, matthew's uh, grandfather and great-grandfather were captains and detectives at lasd Um, all of our parents are military veterans. So serving the community is kind of just something that's ingrained in, in who we are. Um, I can say how we met and then you can talk about kind of the police journey from there, but we, um, we met at the gym in San Diego. Um, I approached him after kind of just stalking him from afar from, for a long time. So I just thought he was so beautiful and we were both at the gym every single evening. And so I thought, you know, we both had the same commitment to fitness and I just, I had to get to know him. So um, you know, we, we went on a couple of dates and kind of realized we've got like faith in common and fitness and our families are both San Diego native. Um, and yeah. so things took off from there. We got married mm-hmm. right at the end of 2019 and then 2020, the world lost its mind.
0: Yeah. No kidding. I feel like the stocking at the gym thing should be gone the opposite way. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: you, you're right. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I was, I think I might, I definitely, uh, I definitely was aware of her at the gym, but maybe just watching from afar and like would never have the balls to go up and talk to her. Um, so she ended up, you know, letting fate do its thing and, and just and went for it. That's uh, funny. It fun. But yeah, we met and then, um, we met before I was a cop actually. Okay. So, um, re- pretty much right before. Um, and then, uh, at the time I was working like a nine to five, I had already, I'd gotten out of college, um, was trying to just figure out what I was going to do with my life. I, I'd known my whole life I wanted to be a cop and ever since I was a kid, like it's just all I really wanted to do, but I kept on getting pushed other directions from like family and doing stuff like that. Like, you know, you don't want to be a cop, like hearing, like you don't want to do it. It's so, you know, it's a thankless job. Everyone hates you. It's, you know, these were
0: the family members that were in, that were in policing already.
2: No, just family that like um, that were, you know, uh, military veterans. My dad, who's was a veteran, but never, he worked, you know, a corporate job his whole life, but he's just like, you know, it's just like, you know, and we have family friends that are police officers Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it's like, and I even went and spoke with a couple of them beforehand and um, they had done like their 30 years and they're like, Dude, this is not the time to be a cop. Like this was like in 2014, 15 or something okay. like that. I know like this is, you know, it's not the same job, you know, that it was in like 1995 or 2000 or something like that. Yeah. And um, obviously, right, the job's totally it's different. It's
0: always changing. I mean, it's always changing, but I remember like when I started at 06, like it. even then from 14, 6 to 14, it was still a huge yeah, change, yeah. 10 years, right? And almost. And then, yeah, people were saying the same thing. Oh, in the 90s, it was like this. So I can imagine yeah. when you started what people were saying to you.
2: Yeah, so it was, um, but I, I finally, I just was like, I remember just for a long time, just it was on my heart for a long time. And I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. Like I, I felt like, you know, doing the nine to five thing, it wasn't fulfilling for me. I just wanted and was drawn to it. And I knew in my heart that I wanted to be a cop. So I'm like, I told her one day, I'm like, you know, this is, I'm going to go for it. And she's like, do it. Like, that's awesome. You should do it. And, um, you know, I started doing the application process, which is a whole that's a whole journey, like trying to become like a new recruit. You know what I mean? Get in, get your foot in the door.
1: Open up your whole life to these investigators. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Then you, you don't, and you don't know anything. So you're going through like, you know, getting strapped up to a polygraph (laughs) for different agencies. And, you know, I remember it was like, I apply, you know, and you don't know anything about the different agencies either. Like whenever you're in, like, if you're in San Diego or if you're in LA County or whatever, whatever county you're at, you don't really know anything about all the different agencies in the County. Right. And then once you get in, you find out like, what's the good place to work? What's the shit place to work? Who has good leadership, who doesn't have good leadership, right. who gets, you know, funding and all that other stuff. But, so I just kind of shotgun my applications out and um, I'll never forget. It was like just seeing all the different. And when I was applying, there was like, I applied first, like San Diego PD. And for anyone that doesn't know there, I think probably the second biggest agency in San Diego behind the sheriff's department. So they have like, you know, 1500 officers or give or oh, take. Oh wow. How big and, is La Mesa? La Mesa is the smallest department <laughs> in the County. Um, so we have 70-ish officers, oh, wow. okay. 70 ish officers. So it's like, it's a city of like around, I think it's probably closer to 80,000 people. Okay. Um, but the department's pretty small. Um, but yeah, so, San Diego PD is definitely the largest or second largest behind the sheriff's department. Sheriff's department's huge. It's got like, you know, a few thousand deputies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember just like, even when I applied to La Mesa, San Diego PD, wherever it was, the sheriff's department, there was like five, 600 people showing up, you know? And I'm, mean, when I applied to La Mesa and this was in 2017, it was like 400 people showed up for the written test and they were like, yeah, we got two openings. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, this is like, yeah,
0: insane. like what the percent is like 1%, less than 1% chance there. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I'm sure that's how it was. in when you applied too. it was like, you really had to fight to get your foot in the door when, um, and I, I know it's changed a little bit. Oh well,
0: yeah. But, the lines, um, I remember the lines being like around the corner to take the yeah. test. And now they're like fighting to get uh, an academy wow, class to get to enough people.
2: Up. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that's what it was for me. It was like people were, there was lines around the block, like just around the community room or whatever, just to take a fricking written test or people were flying in to take a PAT and like from out of state, I remember people like flying in to do the wall jump and couldn't even get over the wall. Yeah. yeah you just flew in from, to do this. You can't even get over the six foot wall, but okay. Did you, did you practice, man? Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got hired by La Mesa. And, um, basically I loved it there. It was like, that's where I wanted to be. I knew, um, I wanted to be there. Like I had applied to a bunch of different agencies and, uh, I wanted to be at me. So I had friends that in, in law enforcement that were kind of pointing me there. And then once I got there, it was like, it's a small agency. So that has like its perks of like, everyone knows each other. It's kind of got like, at the time it was like, you know, a family and right. everyone has everyone's back You're not a number. Right. And it's like a big agency. Um, went through the Academy, you know, that's a blast in San Diego. It's like a, it's a regional Academy. So everyone goes to the same one. Oh, okay. Um, and then Is it
0: through the Sheriff's apartment or it's not,
2: it's put on, it's like a multi agency. So like, it's put on mainly by like, you know, every, every agency has representatives working there. Okay. So there's like uh, TOs from like the Sheriff's it's mainly Sheriff's department in San Diego PD cause they're the largest agency, but then they have, Carlsbad, Oceanside, Elko, like all these different agencies have TOs there too. So, um, went to graduated, went to patrol, got through phase training. And that was like, you know, another, cause we, as a family, we were just like trying to get through the Academy, you know, going through that grind every day, kind of just like go waking up, you know, getting smoked all day, coming home, passing out.
0: Now, was Christina one that had, was she one of the wives that had like the the flashcards made for you and the lunches ready for you to go?
2: I think, yeah, she definitely was helping me out a lot. It, it,
1: there was like two sides to it. So yes, like I was his biggest supporter and just so proud of him. But like, I thought it was hilarious that he would come home every day at like, you know, 4 p.m. and pass out on the couch, like mouth wide open. Yeah. So I do also, I had some fun with it. I do also have a lot of spy pictures and just <laughs> completely zonked out because uh, he worked so hard in the academy. So it was, it was fun for me to kind of witness his journey.
2: Yeah. So then like the next thing was, you know, as for everyone goes, it's like you're in phase training and then that's a whole nother stressful situation, depending on what agency you're at. Some are way more stressful than others. And um, then I was out on the street and, you know, on my own uh, just doing patrol and uh, working nights for a while. Um, Got pretty fortunate, got on the SWAT team in 2019.
0: You were on the SWAT team? Yeah. Wow, that's, that's fast. Yeah, what's a oh,
2: normal, yeah. What's the
0: normal? What's normal like a time frame to go on the SWAT team?
2: Um, it depends. I, I I would say that I was definitely the youngest guy there for sure. Um, I mean, I know that there was a lot of other guys that had. There was a few other guys that um made it on pretty quick, but they were all like combat military guys. Is there something
0: Um, you did specifically that like got that attention or got that, were you working with them a lot or were you doing something?
2: I I mean, I, I, I just busted my ass.
1: Yeah. I I was going to say, if he's not going to say it, I will. Like he was a hard charger. He made a really good reputation for himself. Like he was getting accommodations left and right from like the chief and his field training officer. And so I think he, I think he made a good name for himself right off the bat.
2: There was a, it was just fun. Like I love the job. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like every day. And uh, I mean, up until COVID, right. It was like, every day is like going out with your friends and having a blast. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, it's not always a fun job, right. There's, there's some negative parts, but the, the job itself is fun. And you know, you can make it, It, it's, I always tell everyone, it's like, and some people understand that you, you, you can be the cop that whatever cop you want to be, you can be. And like, you can, you make the job what it is yourself. So if you want to sit back and just respond to radio calls and, you know, not do anything or whatever you want to do. And some days, you know, you know, you need that time to do that. Um, you can do that. You you always need downtime. Yeah, of course. If you want to chill, like you, and I know people don't like to hear it, but it's like, you know, sometimes and it's, we're a busy agency. So it's like, sometimes, you know, you're running 30 calls a day or something like that. Um, so you don't really have time to be proactive, but the job's what you make of it. So if you want to go out there and make stops and get arrests and, you know, put bad guys in jail and you can do that too. It's fun. So,
0: and that's what most of us signed up for, right? Put bad guys in jail. I mean, that's what we wanted to do.
2: Yeah, yeah that's what all of us signed up for. And yeah. then, you know, um, California kind of like changed a little bit. But well, the world changed yeah. for a little like, yeah. It feels yeah. like everybody yeah, it felt like, like it felt like a lot of people
0: decided we don't we don't want you doing police work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, what it I mean, being, whether that's a truth or not, that's what it feels like.
2: Yeah, yeah it was interesting when I like kind of started to realize when you know it was like people that were already on probation or something like that you know and then yeah i'm sure you saw it because you were when you started you know uh meth and heroin were a felony right? oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah.
0: dude we uh, were still enforcing weed laws i mean you know oh yeah weed and property seven wasn't around no property 757 none of that stuff
2: yeah so you could actually take people to jail for shoplifting and doing stuff like that too
0: um, commercial burglary
2: yeah mm-hmm. so we got um and if people are, are listening out of state it's like in California, you know, you catch someone for possession of heroin and meth, and it's a misdemeanor. And in most cities, site and release on the spot, you're not even going to book them in jail. Right. Um, La Mesa was pretty strict on booking requirements, so we had to book people in jail for meth and heroin and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of agencies like San Diego PD, if they're busy, it's like they're not going to take someone out of service for an hour and a half to go book, then potentially get rejected and go to the hospital. It's just, it's not worth it for that crime. Right. Because... Also, you know, come to find out the DA is not going to actually charge them or follow through. So that's when like kind of like you see behind the curtain of like what's going on in the in the in the state. And you kind of realize like, man, it's like you're busting your ass. But are these like is the fruits of your labor really coming to fruition? Are you making a difference? Right.
0: I think that's a that's a thing right now. when when they say like you you take someone to jail and they're out like some people that's out before your report's done or out the next day or whatever, you know? And you're like, and then somebody on the street is literally asking you or trying to get you to arrest the same person for the same crime. And you're like, no, we already arrested them. And like, they're already out. Yeah. They're already out. Like we can't do it again. We can't arrest them again.
2: There was several times when it was like, you know, you take someone, even for like a 5150 and it's like um, in California, that's like a mental psychiatric hold and you take them for 5150, and I remember, like, they would get out of the hospital before I would get out of the hospital. And I'm not kidding. And it was, like, yeah. they would, would walk in the door, they'd give them their bus pass and a sandwich, and they'd be out before I could fill out my paperwork. And it's, like, that's just, you know, that's – unfortunately, that's the system. Um, but, yeah, so that – that you know, I still had a blast. Like, I, were, I kept my head up about that kind of stuff. Um, and, like I said, like, if I could make a difference in – in, in any way it was it was still fun for me every day so but then once covid hit everything changed um we had gotten married in 2019 in december of 2019 so right before covid hit
1: and then we were in like we were gone for like a month <clears> in latin america <throat> so we did our honeymoon so it's like wedding at the end of december 19 we didn't get back to like february or march literally as the borders were closing got hit with that crisis and then his incident happened just like a couple months later so it's been an interesting newlywed yeah. phase
0: for us where in uh, latin america did you go
1: um, so we went to Argentina and Chile, um, and we did some like really rugged hiking and then we just kind of like got lost in the, in the wine region of Argentina. So it was a really nice, oh, that's balance. cool.
0: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. Is there something that, uh, before like the incident happened and like COVID and all these things, was there something that you did together? I know you said you worked out, uh, you guys met at the gym. Did that continue? Did you, how did you guys take care of yourself before everything changed? Like, how were you guys taking care of yourselves and, um, just general life stuff before we get into like the, yeah. the hard yeah. stuff. Do you remember? Have,
2: I mean, we have we have doc, like we had four dogs at time? We, we have one right we have here, one so underneath. Oh yeah, it, it's like he's, he's, um, high he's like a deaf. He's a deaf dog, and he's like always just. If you don't have a deaf dog, don't get one. <laughs> what kind, no, of, what kind right. of dog? What kind of, what of dog is it? Special
1: needs dogs. Um, they're just
2: they're very vocal dogs, even though they can't hear themselves. So he's like.
1: Tell him what kind of dog he he's. He's like he just is. a
2: white. He's a white pit bull. Okay. And. um, All white, sweet man. He's like he's very sweet and cuddly, but if he's like away from us or whatever, he gets very antsy. Show and, his
1: face really quickly because oh, he's oh, basically oh, he's basically part of the podcast. That's
2: funny. I like too. how Christina
0: said, "Don't say deaf. He's special needs."
1: Well, and promote special needs because he's just a big sweetie. Oh, my goodness. Literally, the hardest thing about him is he just needs to be touched constantly. Um, So we have, yes, we have a lot of dogs. We're crazy.
2: So, yeah, we we spend a lot of time with our dogs. Um, We used to do, like, when COVID hit, that was – You know, I remember we were just trying to get outside, go hiking a lot. Which
1: they closed hiking trails for a long time. How
2: insane is that?
1: (laughs) I was like, we were just like, come on, come
2: on, the beach, the
0: beach paths were closed. Like what, what makes no sense?
2: The water. I remember I was on a, like, it was like right when COVID really started cracking down, like the quarantine stuff. And I was doing like a stone garden at, at the beach doing like some stuff with, uh, you know, uh, border patrol guys. And they closed like the water down. And I was like, I
1: was
2: like. How are you guys going to close the beat like the ocean? I don't understand.
0: <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, I feel like we're going to look, I feel like society is either going to do one of two things. Either we're all going to be crazy in like 10 years, 12 years, or we're going to look back at ourselves and be like, what, what were we thinking? Like what was going on?
1: Also, what I'm hoping is we'll look back and be like, never again, right? Like we all learned that we kind of were a little bit sheepish at first and, you know, we can't ever allow for that type of overreach again. Yeah. That's my opinion, but. Um, but yeah, so we, we did what we could to kind of take care of ourselves, but COVID was definitely a, a curveball, ball. Um, and kind of as our situation just continued to like bubble over and unfold, I think the the primary thing we relied on for self-care and just like survival was our faith.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, and you know, we just, we spend a lot of time with family, like both of our families are here local.
0: Um, even, be, here. even before early on, like when you guys were together, you spend time with the family a lot.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, her like she, she has siblings that are like her age. Like you know, we you know go out with, or you know, we'd go downtown San Diego, just have you know go drinking, whatever, and just have a lot of like
1: quality quality family, family
2: time. time um, you know, just just fun time together. Um, and then, kind of as people have added like kids to the mix, it's kind of been like taking away like no more bars. Now we're at Now we're at people's houses. <laughs> yeah.
0: No just watching, kidding. Birthday,
1: watching Encanto or birthday uh, parties. Oh
0: my so. gosh. can you started on that movie. I can't
1: get that <laughs> out of my head.
2: My girls are playing it nonstop. Oh,
1: it's, it's, it's great. Is. so much.
2: Yeah. So yeah, that's, um, that was kind of like, you know, 2020 like hit us for what, like hard it was, you know, 2020 was weird just for everyone, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, so then, I remember so my incident if anyone doesn't know it happened 2 days after George Floyd and that was obviously the catalyst that caused my incident to be anything because in my opinion it probably in other people's opinions it would not have been anything right. at all without that week um
0: well I highly doubt it would have been it would not no a lot of incidents around the world but yeah specifically what you went through I don't think so
2: yeah and and I think um a lot of other metro Police officers, I'm sure you can relate to it working in Long Beach. Um, that, or you know, anyone in Southern California, you, you can relate to like those types of interactions. I don't want to say that they're regular, but they're not uncommon. Right. And, and people that are going to have like a an anti-police narrative, or they're not going to want to cooperate or whatever. It's just it's part of the it's the nature of the beast. It's like it's part of working in a big city, um, and it's just it's unfortunate. It's not something that any police officer wants to be involved in. You don't want to one of the things that I think the narrative is like the police in general are like looking for a fight or like looking to get into a use of force with people. And it's like, that's the opposite. It's like, I tell people all the time, it's like, everyone's goal is to go home. Like everyone's goal is to, uh, you know, be safe and no one wants to get into a fight. And it's like, I think it's like a joke that it's the truth. It's the truth. It's like, if I, if you could hand someone your handcuffs and be like, okay, handcuff yourself. Oh yeah. They would do it. Everyone would do that. I mean, have you um, done
0: that? I've done. I've. I haven't done that specifically. but I've joked around. I've taken my handcuffs out and I said, "Here you go," like as a joke, <laughs> and uh, and then they're like, "And they're what?" And I'm like, "No, nah, I'm kidding. You're not under it." Like it wasn't like a real crime. I was just messing around <laughs> with them. But like just the just like the
2: metaphor of like handing some of their handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like um, it's not a, it's not uncommon to get into use of force. It's not uncommon to have someone that's like in your face or um, angry or upset. And that's, uh, that's understandable. I mean, if you're, I, c- I can put myself in someone else's shoes and be like, understand why they're upset, but it's not an uncommon situation, um, especially in Southern California. Yeah. But um, yeah, so um, May 27th, it was two days after George Floyd happened. It was like a normal day for me. Um, I was working overtime. Actually, we had like, a, I had like a SWAT training the next day. So I was actually on day shift which is, like, probably, like, number one red flag there. You <laughs> usually uh, work graveyard? Yeah. Okay. And um, so I was, I was, like, adjusted shift. It was just, like, you know, kind of like a lazy day a little bit, just running call to call and um, not trying to get into anything, not trying to – I was just trying to get, get through the day because I knew I had to be up early next morning, kind of do weird stuff. And um, another partner of mine hit me up, and she's, like, a – much more, like she has like 20 plus years on. She's like one of the more senior officers at of the department. She texted me and she's like, Hey, I want to do this detail at the trolley station. Um, I have a trainee. Would you come and help us out? I can't get anyone to help. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll come. I'll come uh, swing by. And, um, so these, these trolley stations are throughout the whole County and, you know, S- San Diego has like several million people that live there. So, Um, we have like in the city of La Mesa, there's like five trolley stops. Is
0: it trolley? Like the trolley, like the old school trolleys? Yeah.
2: Yeah. No. no, 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 Or is it like a train? Are we talking about trains? More like a,
0: like a Metro train.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like system. a
0: train. Okay, yeah. I know you've said trolley in the in like other interviews, and I'm like, is it an actual trolley? Like an, you know, I'm, I'm imagining like the San Francisco trolleys.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. No, it's, it, like a, uh, it's like a like a railed system, like a
2: rail, like an outdoor subway. Yeah,
0: similar. Yeah. I think it goes through Southern California. I, yeah, I'm I'm I'm.
2: It's similar uh, to like the coaster. In yeah. yeah. Okay, I was just
0: curious. I'm like, hey, your trolley. I'm like, I wonder if that's just what they call it down in, <laughs> in San. Diego. that's that's just what it's called. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so there's five of them in the city. They're like by far the most high crime areas of the city obviously because people hop on and off and this one in particular is right next to a mall and it's like super high crime for like burglaries robberies you know just the same stuff that's always going on and it's an easy quick in and out of the city you can hop on it and get to san diego downtown you can hop on it and go farther east so criminals use it as like a escape or entrance or whatever and obviously take advantage of people there. It's right. like, you know, crime of opportunity. And um, so we're there all the time. We're there every day, basically, no matter what, but for calls and various stuff. But um, we sometimes do these, well, we do them quite frequently where we go down there. As like, if we had time off or whatever, an hour off, there'll be like three, four officers that go down there. And it's just like, you're just doing enforcement stuff, you know, checking passes. Um, there's like a million ordinances in the trolley stations. Right. Are they, are is La Mesa in
0: charge of these certain stations or is it a sheriff's department and you guys also enforce it or how does that work?
2: So the, the way that it's always been, it's interesting. So there's a trolley enforcement. They have like their own police. Okay. Oh, okay. It's not but a police not, department. It's almost like, do you know, like San Francisco has a BART? Yeah. So BART is actually police officers though. And in San Diego, they have like armed guards that are like go on these trolleys and stuff like that. And then they have guys that are unarmed that do like ticketing stuff, but I don't believe they have police officer power, like arresting power. So they can like ticket for citations and stuff like that and detain people. But then they always call the PDs in whatever agency to like handle their business. Right. So usually if there's like a radio call for service, if there's a crime that happens, the PDs always report it. the, the PDs are always going down there to take the paper for it. So, um, whatever no matter what it's like the the stuff that comes out of that place always like bleeds into the city so it becomes our problem um so we're there on a regular basis so we go down there we're just it's really just like a, a proactive detail but it's more about presence and deterring crime and doing that kind of thing so it was myself and two other officers and then a trainee one of the officers was that senior officer. She had been on about 20 years. Um, Another officer that was there had just gotten off phase training, like within weeks. And then a trainee who was in like phase one. So um, we get there. So it was
0: was mostly young officers and like one
2: senior officer. Yeah. 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 And um, we get there and, you know, we just kind of like spread out, you know, we just go talk to everyone. There wasn't a ton of people there. But as the train comes and goes, you know, as people get on and off, you're asking for passes. You're there's a you, know, you can't ride your bike on the platform or on the property. You can't ride a skateboard. You can't play loud music. Whatever. So your your main thing is you're just going to go up and talk to everyone. Um, you're looking for people on pro, parole, probation, that kind of thing. Um, so I go up. I see this guy. I approach him. We have a conversation, um, and I essentially asked him for a trolley pass he didn't have it he gets into an argument with me when i tell him he's detained and then um he actually pushed me and then at that same time his friends were, his friends came up i didn't know there was friends at the same at that time but they start screaming at me and um i'm more fo- now i'm focused on like multiple things at the same time so I'm just trying to contain him in front of me because after he pushed me, it's like, okay, this is uh, no longer an enforce. This is no longer an infraction. Like uh, you're going to be placed under arrest, right? And I'm not trying to handle this, so um, I end up detaining him. The other officers come and help me out. We put him in handcuffs. We place him under arrest. Um, take him back to the station. Cut him a citation because I can't book him for it. And they uh, wouldn't let
0: you book him for assaulting a police officer.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and normal situation we would have been able to, but because this was May of 2020 in the height of COVID, there was almost, um, we were citing and releasing for 1085 ones. Like okay. we weren't even able to book for stolen vehicles. So,
0: Oh yeah. Cause everyone was worried. Everyone's going to get sick all the time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: So the booking requirements to get booked into jail, it was like basically violent felonies and nothing else was bookable. So um, I feel you know, like, I, I feel like this is borderline like, <laughs>
0: All right. I feel like I would push it. I would be, I would want to push it, but
2: I could have pushed it. and I'm sure. I I'm could not have. saying
0: you're, you didn't do enough. I'm just saying, I think that there's, I feel like the booking sergeant, whoever's in charge should have pushed it.
1: I agree. Assault on a police officer is a big damn deal.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You put your hands on a police officer and like, you're, you're going to be like held accountable, like for sure. And that's why, that's why I was like, at that point it was like out of my hands and I'm not, you know, we're not there to arrest people. I'm not there to do it. Like we're just there to. I and in those situations, in just in general, like I'm, I'm, I use my discretion all the time. You know what I mean? I'm not someone that's out there, letter of the law, writing tickets for everything that I see. Ninety nine percent of the time, or ninety percent of the time, like I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to let you go. Like it's not a big deal. Like I just, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to do my job. If you're if you're just, you know, going about your day, like I'm going to let you. Continue about your day. I mean, I'm not trying to get yeah. get anyone a ticket and ruin your day. You know what I mean? Um, so I didn't know this at the time, but so I continued my shift. I got home at 8 p.m. Unbeknownst to me, his friends had posted the video of our interaction. A
1: part of the interaction. A part of the
2: interaction. Because So they started recording after he pushed me. Okay. And uh, How did they, they – were they nearby or did he call them yeah, so or they, something? They pulled up just right when we were – into it basically and um he pushed me and then that's when they started recording afterwards okay and then there was like a 45 second clip or whatever it was of me detaining him and I'll, you know I'll just preface it if you want people can go watch the video it's everywhere but um it, there was the use of force was like as minor it's a use of force but not really i pushed him backwards into a seat right and you know he was never injured there was no injuries um yeah. it was like you know he was in the the situation is he was in my face and I was pushing him backwards into a seated position and put him in handcuffs. It was like as simple as you can possibly get it.
0: Uh, I mean it's all the body cam shows like the whole the whole thing. I mean it shows the whole thing and then even you telling him why he's being arrested.
2: Yeah. You no, know, it's 100%. not like
0: it wasn't even like he could be surprised because you said it you said it on camera. This is what yeah. you just hit me or you push me. You're under arrest. Like it's yeah. it was very simple. It wasn't like you were it wasn't like hiding why he was being arrested or anything like that. So no,
2: of course and 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 it was like and on top of that he admitted multiple times on the body worn camera to me that he pushed me. You know, it was like he knew, he admitted it. Um, right. And I was very upfront with him as to like and I told him like even when I arrested him and I know he was upset and it's like I'm he was upset. I want to remove myself like from it because I know he's I'm triggering him to be to get angry. So Right. I tried to remove myself and then I take him to my car and I told him like, look, i like, dude, this is a sight and release. Like, just take a breath. Okay. I know you're upset, but you've taken it out of my hands. Like I cannot, cannot let you go at this point. Um, so unbeknownst to me, his friends posted it on Instagram that night or like probably shortly after. And they used the hashtag George Floyd, um, you know, saying that this was police brutality uh, mind you there was no injuries there was like this was you know it was more the use the me pushing him backwards was more me keeping myself safe and keeping distance from him than anything else um
0: oh and so. you put him back in a seated position which we all are trained on keeping control of people and then not having them in the
2: position of an advantage so it's correct yeah yeah and uh um,
1: he'd been instructed multiple times like stay seated stop springing up into my face and it's just like
2: yeah so i mean fast forward, you know, when we count, when this all comes out, it's like, I think I, because of course, all, every minutia of this whole incident was broken down. Right. And it was like, I think over 10 times that I told him to take a seat. And, um, you know, he stood up on me like four or five different times or whatever it was. And um, so he posts the video. It like gets wildfire because this was two days after George Floyd. And this was like ramping up into that weekend of the riots that We're across the whole country. So um, that night we had protesters at our house. And so I didn't, when I originally saw your story, I
0: didn't even know that part about the, the writers in front of your house. And when I saw you guys on the uh, clear hot podcast, I'm like, I was, I was like in chills imagining like the idea of people coming into your house.
2: Well, it was so weird because so we lived, I lived outside the city. Um, but basically like right on the border, like it was,
1: it was like three miles from the PD, very close,
2: but a different city over. But, um, so that evening it went viral. I got a phone call that from one of my partners that was working that night and he was like one of my best friends. And he's like, dude, he's like your videos on Facebook. And I'm like, I don't have social media at all. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like that, the arrest from earlier, it's on Facebook. And I'm like, what? And um, this is like before really the George Floyd thing was even on my radar. Like I had known that it had happened, but it was before it became like a national thing, right? Right. It was just starting to really grow. So I wasn't hyper aware of like all these videos going viral and all this stuff. And this is, you know, pre all that. So he sends me the video and I remember on Facebook, it had like 80,000 views or something like that. And this has only been posted a couple hours. And I was like, I just remember my heart dropping because I knew I was like, I just knew right then, I was like, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew I was like, this is going to be a problem. Like something's going to, this is going to be problematic, you know, only because, and I I will preface it by saying that only because of the attention that it was getting. And I knew that in the city that I worked at, it was like anything that just the minor, like someone comments on a Facebook post on the city's Facebook and that becomes a problem. So I just was like, and and immediately I saw in the comments, that it was like, it was a problem because I saw in the comments, p- people were posting our address in the comments, yeah. I think. And um, yeah I thinking- we had no idea. And these are strange, know. complete strangers that are getting our address and posting them. Yeah. And so my, I remember it being like, Oh my God, this is like, this is horrible. And like, you know, it was like, you know, just, it was the worst feeling ever. And um, were, you yeah, both, just were you both, were both home hard. at the
0: time when they showed up?
2: Yeah. We were both, yeah. we were both home. So that, so it got posted. And then, um,
1: it, it, it's important to like, kind of give people like the chronology of it. Like he literally gets home. I remember putting dinner on the table. Like I think the first thing that happened was we got a notification on our phones. We have the ring camera system. Yeah. So we got a notification that there was movement in our driveway and we look and there's like people out there. There's like, um, a,
2: well, so let me, re- let me reverse. So one okay. of my partners that worked with me that night knew that it got posted And was like, he came to my house and he's like, because we live right on the border. He's like, hey, I'm just going to have lunch out here. This was like, I had just gotten home. he's like, I'm just going to have lunch here tonight and just sit down the street, just in case anything weird happens.
0: I mean, that's that's kind of, that's cool.
2: Literally, but within five minutes, there was 20 people outside the house. yeah And And then so like our ring camera went off and we had ring cameras like all around the house and we pull it up and all I see is red and blue lights outside my house. So then there was like a squad call out from like multiple agencies and it just turned into like 10 different, you yeah. know, black and whites, like outside the house. And I was like, I, we both stayed inside, but I was just like,
1: so it was like, I mean, within like with, he gets home, that all happens. And he gets a call from his partner talking about it being online. And so it really just like zero to 60 in like a matter of seconds for us. And it got so big, so bad. we, it was a struggle at first to understand like, why are people at our home? Like, why would they come? To, like, do they know who we are? Like, not, do, we, do they know like what's in our hearts is more what I meant. Like right. um, that was really hard for me as a police wife to understand, like there must be some mistake, Like, we are good people. What are their intentions? Like, why are they here? <clears throat>
2: well, and you had like the video, right. And I was just remember seeing the video and all like, it was all obviously negative, hateful comments sure. towards me. Yeah, And as first for me, that was like heartbreaking because like I said earlier, like this was my, I love that. Like I, and I know the person that I am, I know what's in my heart. Like I know how I, how I work, how I operate in my job, how I operate in my life. And it's like, I am like none of those things, like people judging you and, and putting you in a spotlight that's like, it was, that was what was heartbreaking. And I was like, and super like de- demoralizing immediately. So then we had the people outside her house You know, and that went on, we had, that went on for days. Um, That's insane. That's
0: insane. Like imagining that is insane. Yeah. So we got, we left
1: basically. We we were advised by his SWAT commander. We're like, they were like, Hey, there's a lot of online targeting for your address. There's death threats. Like there's a larger protest being planned for that, that weekend, which was in a couple of days. And he was just like, you know, just as a precaution, maybe like pack an overnight bag, go stay with family. And we were like, we were horrified. And we were like, okay. And so we packed our many dogs into the car and went and stayed with family for what we thought was like a couple days, maybe. And the sad reality is, is like the online doxing never ended it, and, and it got to a point where it was like, okay, even if this, when this does taper off and calm down, it's like all it takes is one crazy person who has access to our address now to show up at 2am. Maybe he's not home. Maybe he's working. And it's just like, for us, we had lost that peace of mind, that sense of security and while you know we'll get to like his ia and everything while all this is unfolding we have to like sell our house and move for safety purposes like i'm it, curious
0: okay so first of all if people not, that are listening don't know what doxing is um it's when you guys want to explain it or you guys have probably yeah, so they're more
1: funny. more
2: known about what else. yeah i mean it was, it's basically like when people share your personal information address phone number and it's usually for like malicious intent right yeah so um
1: bullying and is how easy
0: is it to get your information like a quick google so search if
2: so
1: if you, easy if you don't protect your information it is incredibly easy and let let our story be a cautionary tale for law enforcement families like take this very seriously scrub your personal information from the internet um there are services you can pay that'll do that for you like we use officerprivacy.com this is not a joke this is not something like oh yeah i'll get to it one day do it right now because had had we had the foresight to protect our information, we'd still be in our beautiful home right now. Yeah. Well, there's,
2: it's interesting because it's like it wasn't just our my phone number, her phone number. It was my parents. They put my parents' address up because it was like any address that I had linked to me essentially. So then like the sheriff's department had it. So basically there was an officer at my, my house and my parents' house for like two to three weeks, 24 hours a day. Did anyone and, show up at any of your family members' houses? No, thankfully, no. But they just did it as precaution. They're like, "Yeah, let's just, you know, whatever." And this was like in the height of all the madness, so um, we didn't. And I remember, like, when I got on at the PD, it was like, "There's, you know, these, there's these companies that do that scrubbing and stuff for for cops." Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, "Who's going to figure out your address?" I'm like, "That's," I'm like, "Why would I pay to do that?" Like, right. That's dumb. I
0: think we've all had that same feeling because I know they've been put, putting it out at our department too, like over and over again throughout the years. And I think it really started in like twenty sixteen, around that time. And it and then yeah, you kinda hit or miss like I uh, have some people do it, some people wouldn't, but it's like, yeah,
2: well yeah, what is the chance? It's definitely chances? worth it. Yeah. It's definitely worth it. That's all I can say. There's no doubt. It's like it's the easiest thing. And then for anyone that's listening that's in L E, it's like you can move your house into a trust. Because, you're, you know, your your house, your your ownership of your home is all public record, right? So if it's under your name, it's like that's easily fine. That's an easy find right there. So if you move your house into a, a trust and, and all that stuff, but, you know, come to find out like all these websites that like sell your data or if you give them your shipping information and all this stuff, I think that's another way. So like all these address finders and stuff like that, my address was out there yeah. and her ad- and our phone numbers. So, and I've had the same phone number for like, you know, my whole life.
0: So Hopefully not, um, not
2: anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so I I was
0: curious, like um, so I know they they told you, so the SWAT commander and they said, Hey, this stuff is going on, we're seeing this we're seeing all this kind of chatter. We suggest you go to your family's house. And um obviously you took that on pretty seriously. But then did the department and I don't I really don't know the answer to this, so did the department do anything specifically for you while this is going on, or was it all just like, Hey, surv- go, good luck surviving on your own?
1: That's
0: <laughs> what they did, yeah. The second, so, second
2: and, and it was like a total. This was uncharted territory, right? Yeah. You know how do you handle this? And I, and I don't know that. I think they handled it initially. I'm saying like how they took how we handled things and how they were trying to navigate the situation for us and our home situation. That was handled fine. I, I didn't have a problem with. It. I mean, they were they had they had officers outside my house 24 hours a day. Um, so then that led into my incident happened on Wednesday, the 27th. On Saturday the 30th, that's when all the nationwide protests happened, right? Yeah. And that's when the riots really kicked off.
1: Um, So in San Diego, there was a larger protest planned downtown?
2: So Yeah, so um, BLM had like a larger, there was a George Floyd protest planned for downtown San Diego, as there was for like every metro area. And um, because of my incident and it getting so much news attention, they moved it to La Mesa because La Mesa, we border, we're, 10 minutes from downtown San Diego. So they moved it over. They're like, Hey, you know, let's move it to La Mesa. And, um, that's what they did. How many people showed up? Thousands. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately it was like, my understanding is of course, none of those people were from the area right? coming down from LA, San Bernardino, whatever. And however they got there, um, I'll just put it that way. And, um, you know, obviously these are people that are coming with bad intentions. So that just turned into a riot. And then, um, you know, the, no one, I don't think any, I don't think any agency was really prepared for that. Just it crossed the board.
1: It became a war zone. Like buildings were burned down. Um, businesses were you know vandalized and looted and it was heartbreaking for us because that was our, that was our community. Like we lived there. we, We did all of our grocery shopping there. We went to the restaurants there. Like that was our, that was our home. And we just felt so heartbroken that like,
2: yeah, and it was it was hard it was heartbreaking for me be, because I was on admin leave. So I got put on admin leave on f- Friday, and I knew that that was going to happen.
0: So it was right away. They didn't waste any time.
2: No, they're like, "Look, we're going to do an investigation for they they said we're going to do an investigation for use of force." I had no and I and I never it, I was never worried ever about this because even when it happened, even after it was posted, I was so sad and heartbroken that it that it was becoming something, but I was like never concerned for my my, um, my, my, reasons for my stop, right. my arrest itself, the whole situation, how I handled it professionally. I, I felt like I followed the law. I did what I was trained to do. I handled it professionally. I never was concerned. I was concerned for my family safety, and, but I was never concerned about my job or anything like that because someone that I know how I work and I know that I follow, like I follow, I read legal updates. Like I follow like I follow everything. So you know, um, I knew my use of force is good. I know like the, the legal background behind it and the Supreme court case. I know that. So I was like, all right, like do what and I know how it's like, okay, there's going to be an IA do your thing. Like, and I know this is just a standard procedure, do your IA, whatever. Um, that's fine. I'm confident in it. So, um, I went on admin leave on Friday, but the riots happened on Saturday. So it was heartbreaking for me because we were watching it at home, you know, on TV it's that it like, like, is
0: that feeling that you feel like you can't do anything to help?
2: hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And it was just, you know, I'm getting, you know, videos and texts from guys there. And it was like, it was just a war zone because, you know, it was like literally like trying to take over the police station. Yeah. And you know, you had uh, the SWAT team, guys that I work with every day on the roof of the police station, just trying to fend people off, um, you know, trying to use gas and everything else. And the SO. So came in and then we had our, like we had our, I remember watching like our bear cat go out there to try to disperse some people and they like just tore the crap out of the bear cat. Really? Yeah.
0: What did they, and, uh, Can I, I don't even have, no. I've seen, never seen that before. What do they do to tear it up? They were like,
2: check, like, so there was these big, uh, you know, hindsight's 20, 20, but they used in the the city to decorate the landscaping. Use these big rocks, right? And they're like these big pointy rocks. They're 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 pretty big, and they turn into like obviously that was their number one weapon that they were using. um So people were just and and people were just jumping on top of the bearcat. I've never seen anything like it in my whole life. You That's know? crazy. um So I guess like the wind, like I think they broke the windshield of the bearcat or something like that, and then they just got out of there. Like the guys in it were like, "All right, we're getting out. This, this is." obviously a safety issue we're getting out of here
0: and you would have been with them right what being on the SWAT team you would have been with that team
2: I would have been somewhere there for yeah. sure I mean they were on the roof they were you know doing yeah. the perimeter stuff they were doing all this everything so it was all hands on deck situation for everyone obviously the whole department was because then it got switched to uh emergency staffing they had to do emergency staffing which was 12 on 12 off every day um I think they hit all of us yeah I think was it was crazy stuff, yeah right? non-stop and, um, you know, so that was, you know, they had, a. I remember they changed like one of the rooms in the station to like a sleep room where they had like cots and stuff like that, where people were just going to sleep. Cause some guys like, you know, you live an hour away. It's like, you're not going to go home. Um, you're just going to go catch catch a nap. But some people were working for like three, four days straight, um, with like maybe like six hours in between, you know? Um, so it got so bad. The national guard had to get called in.
0: I feel like, yeah, but they, I feel like came and they were just like. Not participating well, they, by the time well. they
2: showed up it was already over right yeah i so. mean it
0: was like standing around but yeah it was like yeah, they called it in all these cities and and then they can't do because i think it because they fall under like military so their rules are different and i think i we had a guy a national guard guy that got a like a gun pointed at him and he still didn't couldn't do anything because of like rules of engagement, like they, they can't do anything until someone like shoots at them or something. So it's very well, interesting. I, whole thing I know it's it.
2: interesting. Like, I don't know what the situation was in 2020, but I know if you go back to the LA riots, like in the nineties, right. The national guard showed up and I don't think they didn't have bullets in their guns. Right. I see. I don't remember that hearing that, but I, I yeah. wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. They were deployed with, I, I believe they had no, they had no bullets. They just had like rifles with the bullets, but that's crazy. Um, so
0: they, you guys are at home dealing, like watching this on the news. Yeah. And, um, okay. So you're taking off admin leave, but what is going, I'm kind of curious for Christine, like what's going through your mind at this point. So he, he's not worried about it at first. Cause he's like, you know, he's saying that Matt's saying like, Hey, I, I think I'll be fine. Like use it for, I didn't do anything wrong. So are you in the yeah. same boat or are you feeling something differently?
1: No, I like, we obviously like, we just shared that when he came home that night and like, everything just started like erupting. Like we had a very small window, I think like literally 30 seconds for him to tell me like, look, I was at the trolley station, blah, blah. what happened. And then I saw the video and I was just like, okay, this is a non-issue here. So it was never, I never had any concerns on that front. Like, I know vicariously what the job of policing entails. I understand use of force is a very normal part. Like, I had no issues with that. But sitting there that night watching all this unfold um, in a community we loved, to officers that we knew and loved, I mean, that was, obviously we were not on the front lines of it, but that was I think one of the most traumatic moments out of our entire two-year ordeal so far. Um, And so to answer your question of like what was like, I just describe it as kind of like crisis and survival mode. Like you, and you're an officer, so you understand like that adrenaline, like fight or flight where you're kind of like shaking and you know, you have to take action and you know, something bad is happening and like you have to react. It's that, but like a two-year period of that, of just being in that mode. So it started for us, I think that, you know, just right off the bat right watching away. those watching those i mean there was like uh rioters like they took over the freeway we think they were trying like it was just heartbreaking chp couldn't stop them um and so i just feel like we've been in a prolonged state of like battle right crisis for starting that moment up until we're still battling
0: yeah were you both at your parent or yeah i mean sorry our family's house at that point yeah
1: Okay, so you weren't even
0: you weren't even able to be at home in the comfort of your own home. You're already pushed out, and now dealing no, with watching. Yeah,
1: so that the the day of the larger protests in the city where buildings are burned down, we had like a larger protest at our home that took over the entire block. There was like yeah. hundreds of people outside of our home, like endangering not just I mean our, whatever it's property endangering our property, but like our neighbors. Our, our neighbors with their kids and you know no one deserved that. and the, and the oh. kind of great part about that was like eventually. Our neighbors were fed up, and our neighbors we had like a couple CHP officers and military guys in our neighborhood, and they got fed up and they ran all the protesters out of there, which is really great. But, That's good. Um, but yeah, just like the tr- the deep trauma really started, I would say from from that point on.
2: Yeah. So we had, um, so then the uh, the IA came down. Like we did the IA, and then it was like you know they ended up terminating me for what they claimed was dishonesty. Um, basically it was just all around my PC for the stop, my probable cause and why I contacted him or my descriptions of him, um, and his pre-assaulted behavior. And like, if you watch the video, it's like, it's all on video. It's like, it's, it's, it's still mind boggling to me, but so they terminate me and, you know, now I'm just like in this battle to like administratively, just to get our just to get my job back, but at the same time, we weren't really doing anything yet. This is all t- in 2020. We hadn't really spoken out yet because I was like, "No, we got to stay quiet. Like, we can't do anything."
1: Well, I think in the beginning, just being so new to this, we were naive, and we were also being advised to like just trust the process. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. We knew the truth was on our side. We knew the facts were on our side. We're like, we'll just trust the process. And then I think at one point we were just realizing like the process is the punishment, and you've got these people in positions of powers, whether it's through local government or the DA's office that are going to use you as a political football. And so at some point down the road, um, you know, we took the gloves off, started fighting back, but kind of, I want for any California either police wives or police officers listening to this, I do want to highlight one important detail about the IA process because it was something we had no clue about prior to this and it's, it's real. It exists. um, And I just want other police families to know about it is, the threshold, the, the burden of proof for these IA investigations, right? Whenever there's like a use of force investigation, whatever it is, um, is called preponderance of evidence. And you describe it really well as like.
2: Yeah. So I didn't even know. I didn't, I had never, well, I'd never been in an IA before. Yeah. And you know, like if you've never been in one and then even when they happen to other people, it's always like hush hush and like what's going on? Like, you know, someone goes out on admin leave, you have no idea what right. happened or whatever. And you don't even really want to know because you don't want to get pulled in. Um, so I was told like, no, it's like, it's like what I, I was kind of learning the process and I was told like it's preponderance of the evidence. And I was like, what, the hell what does is that, that mean? I, yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? Define and, that you know, please. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's like, so it's 50% plus the weight of a feather. Is that, isn't that crazy? 50% plus a grain of rice. And I was like, wait, what? Like on my head, like at that point I, it was like, so my head was spinning, but i still felt confident when I was, Cause I was like, there's no, like, it's just so clear. Like, I know this, like it's so clear cut, but if you take a step back and you think about preponderance of the evidence, right. It's super.
1: Ambiguous. It's Subjective. Super ambiguous, yeah. But
2: it also like it, it's, it, I'm all for police accountability, like a hundred percent. And I want, you know, no good cop wants a bad cop to be out there, you know, getting away with anything, but preponderance of the evidence doesn't do anyone any favors because, you know, it, it allows the deck to be stacked potentially unfairly on either side. So it can allow it to just swing either way based upon, well, we believe that this occurred or we think that this may have occurred or it's like, it it does, it's not even likely to have occurred. It's just 50% of the way it's possibly occurred. Essentially it's it's possible.
0: And I thought it was interesting. Like, it's like you go to, I mean, you had to deal with this in trial, but it's like uh, the, you're innocent until proven guilty supposedly, right? Like even, I mean, supposedly, but you're not, in this case, no, you're not innocent until proven guilty because it's, you're, the complaint is this happened, so we need to prove that you're innocent, essentially. Well, That's my, case the opposite. Was
2: so public. my case was so public and there was already like a big media narrative and it turned into like this whole thing before it even became a criminal case. Everyone in the public already had their minds made up about, oh, well, this is what happened or this is, this was wrong or this is, this is X, Y, Z. Um, so i i believe you know it was i was guilty until i was proven innocent yeah and i had a fight to that
1: and i would even argue that like he's been proven innocent in a court of law and many many people out there right who are like desperately clinging to their anti-cop narrative are still like like they're still convinced he's like guilty per se so it's it's a really um, interesting dynamic i think that police officers are up against right it's like you're already kind of villainized. And then if you just do your normal police tactics and like a video of that goes viral, you're kind of automatically like the demon and, and you're crucified. Like what's in your character, what, what's in your heart and your character is like, doesn't even matter. Um, and then, you know, you go through all these legal processes and you're cleared by a jury of unanimously of 12 San Diego citizens. Right, And you've got a lot of people out there, like part of the social justice movement that will still say unequivocally, like, no, that's a rogue racist lying cop. So it's just like, is there, for, for that group, like, is there any winning? Is there any, like, making I don't know bad? if there
0: is. I don't think there yeah. is. And, I, and I'm almost to the point where, like, is it is it so, like, you're hold, holding on to this belief so hard that you now, you've said it so many times that you can't even acknowledge when you're wrong sometimes. Right. Like, it's okay to say, hey, look, we are wrong in this case. Like, it's, it's okay. Like, yeah, there are cases that there are bad, like you said, bad police officers that do wrong things that we don't agree with. Right. But, hey, this one, we messed up. We are wrong, and let's fix it. And that's all, it doesn't, it's like, come on, man. Like, this, let's, let's fix it. I don't know.
2: So I you know, just want to double down. Yeah, right? I know.
0: What was the, what was a frame from the, so that you're off on the 29th and then the IA investigation, when were you, when were you taken out of duty? How, how so, long was the diff- time frame?
2: Well, so, you know, and I, I mean, you've been on a while. I don't know if you've been in, IA, but you've been around enough to know. I've that had, had a few, I've had a few like, issues. Yeah. yeah. Usually, they go very slowly, right? right? Sometimes they take 364 and a half days, right? Because they have 365 days to do it. Um, my the, for this whole case, this huge, gigantic thing, they did the IA in seven weeks. Oh, my goodness, and they're
1: very politically they, motivated. Oh, yeah, for they sure. The angry mob, like, oh, well, here are the results, you know. So. Well,
2: so they they did the IA, so
0: they put you in front of everybody else, essentially.
2: Essentially, when things started to go weird, was when they told me they were like, well, we're hiring an outside firm. We're not oh. going to do, okay. that was the first step Let- they told, they told me very early on, they're like, we're going, we're not going to have, um, our normal IA, uh, process. We're going to hire an outside third-party agency to do this. Well,
1: oh, and if I can just add a little bit of color to that too, like right after the city burned down, city burned down on a Saturday that following day that or Monday you know, we start getting offers from the city to basically like go away money, right? They like pull me into a meeting and they're just like trying to pull at the heartstrings of the police wife. And they offered us six figures to go move up the coast and just start a new life. And we were like, mind blown. Wait, this There's,
0: is, hold on. This is before IA, before a trial or anything? They're just offering yeah, you money yeah, to go sure. away. This
1: was two days, like the day after the city burned down. Um, They brought us into a room and they offered us that. And we were completely blown away because it was like, like Matthew said his use of force was good why would we why would we resign and publicly that's going to look like the cop thought he did something wrong and is resigning in lieu of termination you're a police officer you know that's that would make you untouchable to any other agency right especially with a viral video um so we declined we were like absolutely not like we were fully transparent and leaning into the investigation so once we declined the city's bribe then they started kind of like making these veiled threats on like Well, even if your use of force is justified, we can still get you for PC or whatever. And then to Matthew's point, normally these IAs are handled internally, right? But in the police department, the city council mandated that they go to an outside investigative firm to do the IA, which is very telling, right? Because if like the city of El Mesa is the paying client and they already have this preconceived notion that there's issues with Matthew's PC, and they're paying this investigative firm to find those exact results. I don't even know they can do that. Well, neither did we. Until I assume maybe the it. sheriffs,
0: like maybe the sheriff's department or something out, you know what I mean? Maybe this or something, sometimes sheriffs come in and they do an investigation, right? Or for different sure. things, but like maybe, but what a private firm that doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very telling. It's very bizarre. And you can kind of just follow like how they worked backwards, right? They knew his use of force was good. So they launched a use of force investigation and his use of force is good. But now they're, you know, having issues with his PC for the stop. And it's like, well, that's weird. That's what you kind of threatened us with after we told told you we weren't going to resign for, you know, six figures. So, um, yeah, the city worked backward to kind of just make him a scapegoat for.
2: Well, me- and I'll say it was like, you know, the the investigation, it's, it's also public because due to California law, it's like there was dishonesty allegations. So it's, it's public information. So if anyone wants to read it, you can read it and make your own decisions. But, yeah. um, I mean, they never interviewed the subject that I arrested. Um, they never interviewed his friends that were there. They never interviewed... Um, they did interview the other officers that were with me. They all corroborated everything that I said. They all backed up everything that I did. Um, the senior officer there even said that, you know, I she would have done the same thing, you know, all these things. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that, so the dishonesty stuff came out of left field for me because I just was never anticipating that uh, at all. Um, and And then even when it did come up, I defended it and felt, really good like okay they're checking the box like this is stuff that they have to ask me this is what they're gonna attack but i was like there's and i knew i was like not only i know it's in my heart but i'm like there's absolutely no evidence of any dishonesty and there's like to me it was like it was so far-fetched that they could even say that i was dishonest and or make a point to say that so but that's what you know came out they um essentially found had those findings so that was in july i believe but it was essentially it was about six weeks seven weeks later um so then i was terminated um i got to, i got i stayed on i essentially stayed on for another six months on admin leave
1: while we while i appealed the, t- the termination
2: okay. yeah so then i had to go to like the city admin process so my actual termination wasn't until like december um and then we had a panel of five citizens make that determination. So that's another California thing: um, well, I, citizen like review boards and yeah. citizen yeah. panels and stuff like that. So they yeah. had five citizens that don't have any law enforcement background. Is this uh, like
0: civil service? Do you call it civil service or something else? Kind it's, of. It's, it's called
2: a personnel appeals board. Yeah. So usually, most cities will handle it through like a, they'll have like a, a third party arbitrator that does these professionally and like does these like through for le agencies and stuff like that so they know like case law they know that kind of stuff but this is within the city it's uh five citizens
1: well and it's five citizens publicly named no background in law enforcement and these are residents of la mesa right so that means they were on the front lines the night the city burned down and they're being presumably fed this narrative from the media from social justice groups internally from the city right these are these are people on this panel are hand appointed by I don't know, the mayor the city manager the same people who told us like well even if your use of force is good we'll come after you for pc so it's like this is not an unbiased group and yeah. their threshold again is that preponderance <laughs> of evidence so
2: well so then the city also hired like it was just it was obviously like and i will say like this again and again it still is it's been a battle of resources right yeah. there's you know as a as a police officer, I have we are represented by Porak LDF, so that's like our legal our legal foundation that funds like our our cases and stuff like that when we get have these types of issues. So like I had an attorney through that process who was awesome, but so the city went out and they hired um, a big law firm to take on the case for them. So the city attorney didn't handle it. So then they hired the managing partner at this law firm. That's like a nationwide law firm to, to just handle my case specifically. That's telling. Uh, so yeah. So he came in and did this whole big song theatrics. And dance, uh, theatrics in front of the citizens about, you know, various types of things. The citizens had their findings and it was like, we knew that how these normally go, but I knew that it, everything needs to be on the record. To be put in the record for our appeal because I knew the next step after this was that it was going to have to go to a judge, which is kind of where we're at. Um, so, at Wait, so that's 20, where you're at right now. Yeah. So at the end of twenty, well, yes,
1: but like obviously the criminal case, yeah. yeah. On that, well, so
2: yeah, so back. I'm curious. About
0: that. Well, I'm guessing you can explain that more. But like, I so you're you're still waiting for the judge to decide a judge to decide.
2: Yeah. So what will happen is, um, so in the beginning of. Like so, we filed my rein, for my reinstatement hearing. Um, we have like another step. It's like now it goes to the court. Like it's left the city's hands, and now it goes the courts are going to determine. So basically, it'll go in front of a judge in the next couple of months. I think April first or something like that is the date. Okay. Um, and there's like you know, oh, it's all this legal stuff. It's like you know, it goes in front of a judge. A judge makes a decision at a hearing, and then you know, we kind of figure out where we're at from there. So um, that. Termination from the city happened in December of 2020. And then December 31st, 2020, I got a call from my attorney and it was like, Hey, they're the DA. And she was like, She was like frantically calling me and texting me. She's like, Call me now, call me now. And I'm like, What the hell? Like, what's going on? So I called her back and she's like, She was emotional on the phone when I talked to her. And she's like, The DA is charging you the felony for falsifying a police report. And I remember just like breaking down because I was like, What? hell is going on yeah um and immediately my thought was like they don't know everything i'm like they just like they're just like i was like we have to get them all the information like my hearing stuff that we had with the city like we have to get them all the testimony that we did because we did like a two-week hearing with the city i was like we have to get them all the testimony i was like there's no way they have everything they don't have enough evidence they don't have like they don't have it all like they don't know the whole picture they did and um
1: to kind of paint a picture of like the political scene down here like what what led that charge to even be filed is like we have a district attorney who's up for re-election this year um who was voted into office by police unions by republicans um she gets elected i think in 2018 immediately renounces her republican affiliation in 2020 in 2020 Mm -hmm. um and i think you know with what's happening up in la county right the writing's kind of been on the wall with like more progressive da's and i think The DA here in San Diego, Summer Stephan, I think, is more concerned about political survivalhood and getting votes in her re-election campaign this year than she is about, you know, actual facts of the case. Um, So I think initially we were just like, oh, the DA doesn't have the full picture. Like, we should be able to get this all sorted out. Very quickly became apparent they have the full picture, and they were coming after Matthew with everything that they had, not because he did anything wrong, but because they just wanted to kind of, like— appeal to those like middle of the road voters and to show like, Oh, look, we're progressive. We prosecute cops. And it's like, by all means prosecute cops when there's actual wrongdoing, but how dare you slander us come after my husband, hold our lives hostage for a year while we battle this out in court, just so that you can look really good to social justice groups.
0: So when so, you, they, they give you that news on the 31st and you said you yeah. broke down. And I, the reason why at, I want to bring you back to that day is because there are people who are going through this too, like where they get news from, DA's or, or IA or whatever, losing their job. And I know that since you've gone through this, is there anything that you can, can shed light on, on that day? Like what you went through that you can, I don't know. I don't know how you processed it. Like you see broke down, but like how you get out of that. Like, I, I imagine a darkness, but I don't know how what it looks like for you, but how do you get out of that? And so what, what did you do?
2: You know, it was like, it was just, it was so hard because it was like, that was most of 2020, most of 2021, Like I thought twenty twenty was bad and like I was like, you know, there was so much trauma on selling our home and watching these riots and getting terminated and doing all this and fighting for my my life. But twenty twenty one was definitely the hardest year. Yeah. Because there's nothing like going through like a criminal case, you know. It's like state of California versus Matthew Degas. Yeah. And it's like that there's nothing harder than that. And I can't I can't say that it's like I don't I don't have any to say as far as like you know um how do you how do you pick yourself up because it's i think you have to go through the emotions of like this different stages of like
1: um like grief and
2: you know trauma and just and work your way up and then finally you just have to pick yourself up yeah i i we leaned on our faith a lot um we had a great support system here with our family um we had people that like believed in us and I think at that point it was like, I know that was the turning point for us because once the criminal charges took place, it was like, okay, we're like, I'm no longer, we're no longer staying silent. Like we're going to do everything we can yeah, to make noise here.
1: And so everything he said is hundred percent correct. And if I could just add to that, I think for anyone in similar circumstances, I understand how crippling that news is at first and certainly take your time, process it, lean on your support systems, your faith, but what we learned and what I wish we would have known sooner is like when you're up against these, whether it's like local, state governments with the with endless resources, they want to sweep you under the rug, right? They they want you to, to play small and be quiet. And I, my advice to other fa- police families going through this is like process whatever you need to process and then pick up your sword and shield and go to war because – Like you have to, you have to figuratively like battle these people, these politicians, these prosecutors on every street corner about everything, like make their lives a living hell, fight them in every way you can. um, Because they, they don't want the pushback. And they also don't want the publicity. Like the, the moment we started speaking out, we became the biggest thorn in the side for this progressive DA who was elected into office by police unions. And then she has a police wife speaking out, against her. And, you know, she's got this, I've got this, so we've got this social media following. Um, So that's my advice is like, once you kind of process it, like battle up, it's, it's, it's war. Um And it's going to be like the most painful experience of your life, but like, it's your life on the line. So you've just got to, I mean, get in there and fight like hell.
0: How long, long did it take it. you to decide to do that? I mean, cause I you're saying you would <laughs> automatically, were, now you know, that you would probably, maybe we do it earlier or later, but.
1: By the time we started speaking up, it was, I don't know, like, April, March. Yeah. So almost a year after his incident. Right. And his incident happened. It got so big, so fast. We just got small and kind of focused on survival. And I, it took us almost a full year to be like, Oh no, 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 no. We've, we've got to like fight fire with fire. If we're going to win this.
0: Do you feel so like there's don't... a difference? Sorry. I didn't want to no, you're you oh, do you feel there's a difference? Like when you're saying, because you went through the the admin part of it, the mm-hmm. IA stuff, and then like talking to the panel, all the stuff. So you really didn't, what was it in December you found out you lost your job? Well, so, that was like yeah.
2: the official like termination. Yeah. Do you
0: feel it was... like it's different though? Like if you would have started fighting publicly earlier while that process was going on, that it would change that? Or do you think that it was smart not to fight at that time? Cause you know, I mean, I don't know. I, Cause I know people who are like admin, you're always worried, like saying too much. Oh, if That's I say right, too yeah. much and the admin is going to just like cut me now. Oh. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, we could, we definitely, if we had started earlier, maybe, you know, maybe to change the narrative. Cause like once we started speaking out and like getting stuff, it was a slow process, but like, then it started to build over 2021. And it was like, it became bigger than we kind of expected. It was like, she started getting on the news, like locally or doing like different podcasts, like L E podcasts. And we started meeting people. We started getting like these connections of like politicians or LE people or people that wanted to, that had foundations and stuff like that, giving us a platform. And then Before we knew it, like by the end of like going into trial, it was like you would, we would look at like, she would look at Instagram and it'd be like a hundred thousand accounts we'd be reaching in like two weeks or something like that. That's amazing. And it was insane. It was like, so we were like the, the, the viewership that we were getting, the, the people following, it was like, so it, that was for us, like for me, that was super uplifting because we were getting so much support after for so long getting no support but then to hear all these people speaking up and then through 2021 was kind of like the pendulum is obviously not swung back, but to have people be like, okay, it's kind of gotten ridiculous. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like this, uh, anti-police stuff, defund the police
1: and now crime is surging. It's oh like, yeah. So well, I was, I, I was like, curious mom? about your
2: DA too. When you're saying that she, they were
0: trying to switch the other way. Are they switching back now? I, I mean, no, no,
2: no, 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 they're not. There's like all this, there's just crazy stuff. It's just Southern California generals like yeah. madness right now. Yeah. But, um, so,
0: so fighting like, earlier, you're not sure if it would have changed anything I, necessarily. I don't.
1: I don't know that it would change the outcome of like his appeals hearing, but I think more so like our goal in speaking out is like, there needs to be more in the LA community. There needs to be more awareness that like these bureaucracies are designed and structured in a way to do this to families like us, which means it could happen to families like you It could happen to families, like your listeners. And it's more so like speaking out, getting that awareness. I think we're all better equipped for like what to expect when there's an IA over a very public, you know, incident um and I think just the law enforcement community being better connected with one another like social media is a great tool for that these podcasts are really wonderful um because through that connection like you have you kind of you gain like people you know and like it's just there's influences there's resources that come out of that that we can like back each other up and talking about these shared experiences I think helps prevent them from happening in the future right when we all have knowledge and we're all equipped with like how to prevent these things from happening to each other?
0: So I just wish that, like, more um, like say, political leaders, but like chiefs of different agencies. So let's say your agency can't say anything, fine, but if let's other agencies go, hey, this is what we believe, and like they then the, the leaderships start speaking up more, um, just to so, show support of the officers. I don't know. I, I guess that's my biggest hang up for from for a while now. It's been the leadership not being able to speak up. I think there was one the ones um, we were thanked for. We had to pursue. We were thanked for not getting into a shooting at the end. The guy had a gun and we're kind of thanked by the chief for not getting into a shooting. I mean, there was no reason to get into a shooting. It didn't turn in that way, but um, he was, it was thankful. And I said, I'm, you know, I'm curious when we've had shootings, when there've been officer involved shootings and they're justified telling officers they did a good job, you know, publicly Well, we can't do that. We can't do that because then if it turns out that the DA changes their mind, that's not good. Then we, then we're wrong. And I'm like, that's, that's so backwards.
2: Well, you see, there's there is leaders that do that. There's definitely you see like sheriffs in like Florida and stuff like that 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 come out and they're like, you know, they have their off op- their deputies backs and stuff like. That. There there's there is. There,
0: I'm not saying everybody. Kind of like, yeah, I shouldn't say everyone.
2: No, no, but it's definitely a huge thing because in Le, like, you know, you really see especially when um, there's pressure on like these like the leadership, you really see what they're made of in like a big way because they all present themselves in like this like, oh, chief, like, you know. I talk a lot. I talk a lot of big words, but they don't really mean anything. Um, smoke and but, mirrors. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And um, but when they're actually pressured to make decisions or do their like do their job and like really stand up for what why they're there, right? Like you worked your whole career to be a chief, and it's like you would think that more chiefs would want to. Um, look after their their officers and 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 really take care of them, you know, in yeah. a re, in a real sense, not just like, hey, we're doing a pizza party, there. You know what I mean? I,
0: it's why is it's pizza like, always the thing too? That's, it's, it's the cheapest it's so way funny, cheapest book. way to feed everybody is to get some pizza and then yeah, oh, and like then we the did a, Mar- we did something.
2: We're gonna, yeah, yeah, we got a pizza. Pe- there's like you know, morale sucks. We got uh, bagels today are coming in or something. You know, that's that's how it is for every. Department. Oh my
0: goodness, that's so funny. It's yeah. like cross so, yeah, um, pizza parties. <laughs>
2: Hey, we're happy. You know, that's fine. <laughs> All free food. Um, but so you, yeah, so the leadership's a big thing for me now. Seeing like, um, that's like the biggest thing is, you know, it, seeing agencies that have strong leadership that, and that stand behind their officers, that stand behind like doing police work, like, um, and just that, that really like, that are accountable. Like the buck yeah. stops with them, like at the end of the day. I really, I really I really
0: want to see a change here in California. Like it needs it yeah. needs a change. I mean the DAs are I think the DAs, I think the the political leaders are really causing some real issues for policing.
2: And we can't well, I know there's like um Sheriff us pushing hard. Yep. I know that Sheriff is pushing hard in Riverside um, and those two guys are like those guys are like two of the biggest standout leaders it comes to also like make a point that they're both sheriffs and they're elected. Right so and not yeah, and not appointed. Yeah they don't have to answer to a city council and that's probably the biggest difference right yeah um
1: and as a police wife if i could just interject and say that like that was stuff we did not pay attention to or realize before this incident and those factors absolutely matter when you're looking at how a department might handle a critical incident that has a lot of publicity um and so one of the key takeaways that i've learned from this situation is like Matthew you just said Uh, Sheriff's departments versus city police departments and how the leaders of Sheriff's departments are elected versus appointed like they are in a city police department. And those police chiefs in a city department respond or report to city manager, city mayor, city council. And so, you know, if you're lateraling to a different agency, if you're brand new and you're trying to pick which agency to belong to, pay attention to like the political powers at play. If you are looking at a city PD that has a city council that has anti-cop people on it, I would say get as far away from those agencies as possible because our case is a glaring example and warning for police families that those anti-cop city council members, they control the puppet strings. And your life and your livelihood is at risk. If you are just doing your job and you do a justified low level use of force, those city council members are going to crucify you as Whatever fits their narrative—a racist cop, police brutality, police misconduct—you know. Um, so that's a, a really big takeaway that I think I didn't realize as a police wife, and maybe other families don't realize. Like those are things you have to pay attention to 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 survive.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's fact that like you were looking at the agency when you first started, people were kind of telling you to go there, and you were like, you liked, you wanted to be there because of probably the leadership and what was going on in the department. But you didn't really know the backbone of it was city exactly. council. You know, it's not just that the police department. You have to look at.
2: Well, it's the city, you know, the city council plays a bigger role, but also like, it is like, it's really like kind of like a wizard of Oz thing. Right. You like you they project one thing and then you see behind the curtain. You're like, Oh man, like this was yeah. really, and you don't know that until you're there. Right. You, you like, no, you don't really know that until you're there. That's a good analogy. like the wizard of Oz.
1: I know. I've never heard that you say that before. You don't know oh, like good. the morale
2: until you're there. And then you really find out like, or you're really working. Like you can, because when, when you're doing like trying to find out where you want to go, go you're doing ride alongs and stuff like that you don't know until you're, until you're working it until yeah. you really see like, what's, what's popping off inside the station, right. you know? And, um, yeah, they, everyone acts right. like
0: they're friendly and everything's good to go when you get there and like, you want to, they're recruiting you. And then what happens after? <laughs> yeah. What happens uh, the week after you start, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, thinking about how you were um, obviously now you're still fighting, but at the time going through this and you were, clearly selected for a SWAT team and you were, you had a good head on your shoulders. You're working hard, you're busting your ass. And then um, one thing happens and everyone turns against you. Did you feel like, I mean, after you were terminated in December, did you feel that you had any support from the people within your department or was it, were they kind of just like,
2: I'm going to put my distance because of what happened? Um, the patrol guys I definitely had a lot of support from, um, and there's still like guys that I talk to on a regular basis and that have my back. I know that, um, you know, when we started our social media page, it was like, we had a lot of support from guys, even within the department across the county, like, you know, like different departments across the county, um, supporting us, you know, we have like shirts, buying shirts and like putting them in the locker rooms and doing stuff like that. That was You can plug cool. that right now.
0: Um, so we're, we're thinking about this. The shirts go to f- helping you for your legal or for legal funds, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it's our huge. our social media account is on Facebook and Instagram. It's clear officer Degas. It's D-A-G-E-S. And the link in bio will not only take you to where you can buy our clear officer Dagus shirts, which are super soft and really great, um, but there's also a donation link there as well. So, you know, one of the other kind of cautionary tales about our story is that, like police unions cover legal fees to a certain degree at the end of the day, like they have discretion in what they cover. Um, and so that ultimately has led to us having to pay over a hundred thousand dollars out of pocket um, in legal fees. And this is during a time when Matthew's been out of a job for now for over a year. And so that's another thing I want police families to know is, um, you know, like that your police union has your back to a certain degree. They're not going to necessarily pay for everything. And so um so yeah, so we've you know paid a lot of money out of pocket just to advance his criminal case, to advance his, his reinstatement case, just to stay in the fight. It, it costs resources and money. So um, we've teamed up with the Pipe Hitter Foundation, which is an amazing organization that was founded by Eddie and Andrea Gallagher. Um, and they've been helping us fundraise and pound the drum. Um, so yeah, so that our social media is kind of the gateway for all those wonderful ways that people can stand with us and help us kind of win this fight.
2: Yeah, so we had, and like, there's like a big, like if you've never been in an IA or you've never been in like I mean nobody not many officers a lot of officers are going to be in IAs but not many of them are going to get into like a criminal trial right right? or go that distance or be terminated so it's like your police unions and and all that are great because you know you have an IA IA, they'll have representation come out Mm -hmm. like do an interview with you and do that kind of stuff they'll be there that's totally always going to be covered you're not going to have any problem with that but it's like once you go to the step of like Oh, you're getting criminally charged, and oh, you're getting terminated, and it's like all these other things. Are, you know, you have to. I think at one point, it's like I had like three or four attorneys. <laughs> and, um, and this is from you know,
0: internal, or sorry, from the association, three or four attorneys.
2: No, I had so I had one. Well, no, so I mean, I had I had one attorney from the association, and then you're we were in this position where it was like, like I said, like the DA has this, the government has a blank check, right? Right. And they're going to throw as many resources as they can. Like they had several, they had multiple DAs working my case for a year and God knows how many hundreds of thousands of dollars they spent, if not millions of dollars uh, between the criminal case and the admin case. Um, But it was like, once we went to trial and there was like, or going into trial and knowing, Hey, this is, this is a this is a case that needs more than one attorney. Like we need like it's just more work than one attorney ha- can can possibly handle, especially because like a police attorney is also getting called out to other cases. Right. You know what I mean? To
1: OISs. They're and not stuff, just
2: yeah. devoted to you, obviously. Yeah. So we had a I we had to bring on other attorneys on the team. And it was just like we were in that state where I was like you'll do anything when you're in this position where it's like in a criminal trial, it's like you need to do whatever it takes to win.
1: And so one of the things we haven't touched on is like, had Matthew been found guilty, they were charging this as a felony. So not only was he facing prison time, but like in terms of our lives after that, as a newlywed couple, that's like no voting can't own a firearm. Like this is like life crippling stuff that we're up against. And we're walking into court every day with our one attorney against the DA's five or whatever they had. Um, and so, yeah, we were in a position where we were just like, we need more firepower. Like this is the fight of our lives. This is literally the difference between us winning in court and being able to start a family and move forward with our lives or Matthew going to prison. And I don't have, we can't start a family and he can't vote and he can't own a firearm. And I don't know how he's going to work again after this. And so the disparity between those two outcomes lights a fire under your ass. And we were just like, we, we, we have to mobilize funds. We have to get more attorneys, more firepower, because like I said, it was the fight of our lives.
0: What, what and kept you going? Like, I mean, okay. So that, what you just mentioned, like, I feel like that could cripple anybody, you know, yes, like yeah. it, that could really like tear you like feel crippling. So what, what, like, like, okay, you decided from like, okay, I'm not going to go right. I'm gonna go left. And I'm going to, this fire is going to burn. What, I don't know if there's something specific, like, or you're just like, we're doing this. We're going all out.
2: I mean, it's like, you're backed into a corner and it's like, you have like, you have to make a choice of like, am I going to, and I think that's what the DA's intention was, uh, or a combination of. And that's just me speculating a combination of maybe the DA and the city's intention of charging me criminally was we're going to, we're going to bury him. Like we want to bury him publicly, financially, do whatever he can, because we know this isn't a good case. And we want, if we bury him and push him in a place where he has nowhere to go, he's going to plea to something less because they gave me multiple chances to do that. And every time I told him to kick rocks, And it's like absolutely not going to happen or they're just going to like destroy, like try to destroy me as much as they possibly could. But you have to make a decision internally in your own mind and be like, you work. So like, like, this is like, it's a life changing decision you have to make in yourself to be like, am I going to give everything that I have here? Or am I going to, am I done? Like, am I done? And that's, and my attorney told me like when we got charged, like we had a conversation with her and she's like, look, she's like, I know how you feel right now. And I know you want to attack this head on, but she's like, I've been through so many trials with people. Like it's the hardest thing in your, your, your life you will ever face. And she's like, there's nothing wrong with, if you wanted to say that. And she's like, I believe you hundred percent. I know. She's like, I know you, like, I know that you're, you're right. But if you were to say, Hey, like let's make a deal and like, let's just end this because it's not worth the turmoil that your life's going to go through over the next year. She's like, I totally understand that. And I was like, I was like, no, it's like, we're, we're going pedal to the, like, you know, we're full, full, full speed ahead. Like, well, you, you
0: you knew you did nothing wrong. So knowing that that is, it's like, I, you, I would like, I didn't do anything wrong. And that's why it's always interesting. People like take, please, because I I
2: mean, yeah, if I had done something wrong, if I knew in my heart where I did something, even if I knew something in my heart where I was like, you know, I did, I really messed up or I did something wrong. It's like, a why wouldn't I have taken the several hundred thousand dollars they offered me immediately and left. Right. And B, it's like, then I would know like, oh man, eventually the truth's going to come out and like I'm going to get screwed and I'm going to be found guilty. But it was like, I always knew that I did the right thing, that there was nothing to hide and I had nothing to hide. And it was like, you know, the, that's what ended up coming out. The trial is like, the trial was just a circus, you know? Oh my
1: gosh. I, I think going into trial one, like he said, seeing like state of California versus Matthew Degas is just like horrifying i'm sure for him certainly for me his parents our siblings our friends and you kind of just have this i had this expectation going into trial like well these are their big guns and this is going to be a big show and it was an absolute circus for the prosecution i mean it, it makes sense now in hindsight because they had no case right it's all right. the stuff but just watching their case like fall further and further apart every day and watching us win every single day in court Um, like very early on, we, we chose a really good jury and and really very early on in the process. I started to feel like, oh my God, like we've got this, which I did not expect because I just thought, and, and I mean, not to, I want to be very clear. Trial was the most agonizing experience of our lives. Um, it felt like we, we describe it as like a hellfire acid bath and that is almost an understatement, but like when you actually watch the substance of the case play out, there was no smoking gun. There was no like skeleton in the closet. Like nothing happened in trial where we were like, shoot, that was bad. Like yeah. if anything, the DA's witnesses like would just absolutely crumble uh, on the stand, and we would just be like, oh my god, that was wonderful for us, you know. Um, So
2: how long did it go for the trial? Like
1: like two weeks. About almost, two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks.
2: Almost two weeks. Yeah. So then they between like jury selection, pretrial motions. Like trial itself and then deliberations it was like a full two weeks essentially but yeah. the jury deliberated for like a little over barely a day and had a verdict um and we felt like and spoiler no, it was not guilty for
0: anyone guilty. anyone yeah. that's i don't know if we said that already but you're found not guilty <laughs> on your trial. Uh,
2: it was like you know we felt good about it but like you hear like it's just like the, the most it's like the most intense like 30 seconds of your life for them reading yeah. a verdict and you feel good about it, but at the same time, nothing good has happened to you over the last year and a half. And like, you feel like the system has let you down and people have let you down continuously. People that you trusted or people in power have let you down. So you're always like, what if, you know, but we were so happy and like the jury, like, you know, the people were just come to find out because we had to talk to the jury afterwards.
1: Yeah. It was amazing oh, really? Okay. Well, yeah. if they wanted to some came up and spoke to our family members some,
2: but so yeah some people came up like shook my hand afterwards the
1: foreman came up and shook matthew's hand and he learned that matthew was facing prison time over this charge and he was like appalled um and so we actually got to communicate with several jurors and it was really interesting because when they went into deliberation the foreman immediately was like okay guys the elephant in the room is like does this case have anything to do with race and the jury immediately was like no right because that's as the prosecution's case played out in court and all the witnesses were a disaster and they have no evidence, like then their, their hail Mary in court was all they did was race bait. And they said George Floyd's name more times during trial than I think they said, Matthew Davis's name. That's insane. It was sickening and so just heartbreaking to, well, to see them be that desperate, but to also have the race card just keep coming out and then to hear the jury say, no, that was the first thing we addressed as a jury. And we all agreed this had nothing to do with race. So like, um,
0: clear here. So they're saying that, Matthew's actions and his arrest had nothing to do with race.
1: Yeah. But, uh,
0: but the trial or the, the fact that he was fired clearly had to do with race.
2: Well, so right. The, like the fact that the, the, the whole never, George, so like, the, I mean, the race car, the race stuff was never, ever brought up in like my IA, nothing, like nothing, like it never, there was never anything to do with any race. And then, um, well, obviously that was like the undertone of the situation right Right. but there was never any accusations of any racial like targeting Correct. or anything like that and then even in the criminal case there was no accusations but that was what they continued to bring that DA continued to play on that tone of like Well, let's remember where we were on May 25th, 2020, when George Floyd, you know, I'm like, George Floyd, who
1: is black, just like the subject in the case is black. And then the officer who's white, just Just like Matthew D. They literally spelled that out in in court. And I understand that, like, no, on paper, you know, he wasn't criminally charged with being racist, he wasn't fired for being racist, but like, both the criminal charge and the termination were driven by allegations of dishonesty. And then you've got this very loud social justice group who's kind of filling in that gap and saying that his motivation was racism. So no, it's not written on a, on a legal document anywhere, but like racially charged is really what fueled this entire nightmare for us. That allegation of Matthew's actions being racially charged. Like that's at the fore That's why we're here. Yeah. Um, So,
0: yeah, I just think the comparison is unbelievable. Like there's there's not even,
2: what's that? They literally compared me to Derek Chauvin, like that's... not like, like actually, like literally, actually did that in the trial. I... And I was like, I'd le- turned to my attorney and I was like,
1: Can they do this? I was
2: like, Can they say that? And he's like, They can say whatever they want.
1: But at the end of the day, so just to kind of give you a lay of the land here in San Diego, so East County is technically where La Mesa is considered, and that area is like very conservative, very pro police, very patriotic, and that's where this court, this trial was held. And so we picked a jury. From East County, who was, I think almost everyone we interviewed for the jury had like law enforcement ties. Like we picked a really, really great jury. And at the end of the day, when the prosecution so desperately tried to play the race card in court, comparing him to the Minneapolis thing and Matthew asked his attorney, like, are they allowed to do that? I think our strategy was like, no, let them, the jury is going to hate this.
2: Yeah. My attorney's like, just let them talk. Like yeah. they, they sound ridiculous. Like let them talk.
1: And when we spoke to the jury after the acquittal, that's exactly what several members said was like, they agree. It was like, it was like this whole charades about race when this case has nothing to do with race. Right. And they all agree that like the DA, the city of Omesa, is just railroading Matthew for, for political gain. Right. Because they had a city burned down and the DA has an election campaign this year and they wanted to, you know, appease this woke, ignorant mob and try and throw Matthew under the bus. So vindicating on, on a lot of different levels for yeah. us.
0: Oh, I just make it clear. One of the things you said, we said, we, we picked our jury, the pick, jury that we picked, but this is, yeah. this is both sides. So you, you Absolutely. go back and forth. I know you cleared us up on that the other podcast too, but I just want to be clear for anyone's listening. So mm-hmm. you guys go back and forth, you pick, you like can dismiss people. And so can the DA and DA can pick the jury just as much as you guys your side yeah, can so, so it's Each, each side gets right.
2: 10 dismissals, right? So yeah. it's like, we have 10 dismissals. The DA has 10 dismissals. And it's like, it's called the voir dire for anyone who doesn't know, but like through that process of the jury selection, like the DA and, and the defense attorney, like essentially interview the, the jurors find out like their background. And it's really like anything. Like, what do you like to do? Like, what do you do on your spare time? Like, how do you, or then it turns in like, how do you feel about this subject? How do you feel about this? And then you find out people, maybe if anyone's, like, how do they feel about law enforcement have they had any prior interactions with law enforcement and some people were like you know so like, i i love law enforcement like some people you have you have people on both ends of the spectrum right you have people that are like super pro-law enforcement and you have some, some people that are obviously not pro-law enforcement yeah. so essentially what happens is like there's always like a kind of like a meeting in the middle you know some people are gonna because it, it doesn't even out it's it's a fair it's a fair process yeah. for everyone yeah. For everyone
0: Yeah, I just want to make it clear because I know that you were saying like the jury we we got, which is true. Like you get you got a good jury, which on both sides was chosen, and they could have kicked off any of those people if they wanted to. So yeah, and and,
2: and also the judge has power too. There's like people that obviously have bias, like they maybe feel so strongly about a case because my case was being public, so everyone, a lot of people wow. knew about the case when they saw me. Like yeah. they'd come in, they didn't know whether what church, what they were going to be at but when they showed up and saw me they recognized me
1: mm-hmm.
2: and some people felt so strongly one way or the other there was actually people that like felt strongly in favor of me mm-hmm. that the the judge dismissed them so it's like those are people that i'd love to have on the jury obviously right but the judge dismisses them because they have they right. feel like they can't be um, impartial people. yeah
0: right. yeah so you get through the you get through the trial and um it, it was all televised the whole thing
2: yeah so yeah, it was. So and there it, was every day there was, yeah. it was just the, I know you were
0: doing updates day. like Christina, I think you're on Instagram doing updates like after each day or yeah. so, a couple of days or is it like, deliberations?
1: As much as I could, but the reality is, is like trial was such a grind. We'd get there at 7am. We'd be there until like five or six. We live kind of far from the courthouse. We'd come home. You're just so mentally and emotionally and just spiritually drained So you have enough time to like shove something down your throat for food and then go to sleep and wake up at like 6 or 5 a.m. and do it all over again. So I was updating as much as I possibly could. The media, it was a public trial anyone could attend. The media televised every single day. But one thing that's really interesting to note is like, The media, of course, was there um, to tape, like, the prosecution's witnesses, the main subject in Matthew's case. Like, they would tape him, and then they would, like, leave at certain parts of the day when, like, the the rest of the trial, like, didn't fit their narrative. And they would, like, be there to close – they would be there to film the prosecution's closing arguments. And then literally when the prosecution was done, the media packed up their stuff and left and didn't even film Matthew's attorney's prosecution – or, excuse me, Matthew's attorney's closing. And we can all guess why, right? It's because, like – the facts that we're saying, our argument does not fit the media's narrative. So they don't, they're not going to televise it. And so that was really eye-opening to me because I was like, then the media is not here. They don't care about the truth. They are not here to televise this full thing. They're cherry picking you know? what fits their like anti-cop yeah. They get their
2: They'd get their clip in the morning and then they'd bounce like, and then you just see like one clip that was like taken out of context or something like that. And then it was funny because I'm sure like, if you were in the, if you were, cause like we, had so many support people. We had so much support there too. It was like, cause it's a public, it's a public trial. Anyone yeah. can show up and watch. So we had like, you know, probably 50 plus people there every day, like packed the courthouse. And it was like people that were there watching. You'd go home and read the news and be like, what? Like this isn't, this is not what happened. What you're, yeah. You're missing like 95% of what happened that day.
0: I think it's interesting. Cause we know we've seen this on, on the media for quite a while now, like the media only shows like one side of things and changes the tone of things to so make, especially law enforcement look bad. Um, but to hear firsthand, even like you said, like you're sitting there and they don't even, they're packing up. You know, I don't think we really kind of picture that because you only see what's on TV, right? So you are seeing what they right. show and you're like, all right, well, what's the other story? Well, maybe they didn't get the other story. No, they chose to mm-hmm. leave to not hear the other side of the story. That's, I don't know, boggles my mind, but.
2: So then, yeah, when we had the verdict, it was like, it was. I mean, there was like twenty plus news. It, it was insane. It was like I was like, "There's not even this many news stations in, in the city." <laughs> there were so many cameras, and they were all asking for a statement. I'm like, "No, I'm not. Talk- well, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk to anyone." But I'm like, "Why would I talk to?" Well,
1: yeah, yeah. Our position as a family is like these media outlets locally, with the exception of one. Kusi has been wonderful to us, but every other media outlet has really just kind of taken this like clickbait headline. BS and like ran with it and drug his name through the mud in, for, you know, two years now. And then when he gets vindicated and they're like, Oh, you talk to us. And it's like, why would we like, why, why would we do you any favors? We have nothing to say to you. Um, Because I really think as a, a as a police family, like it's important to really pay attention to like, who's actually presenting the news to the community and who's really pushing an agenda. Cause yeah. these are very different things.
0: So what made you, I know you were speaking out before because you're trying to get eyes on the case and what's going on yeah. with everything. So what, changed for you now matthew going to be able to speak up a little more like would there something change for you
2: well once the criminal case was done yeah. you know that was the big thing is like once the criminal case was done it was like and at this point it's like i've um you know the, the reinstatement is still pending right but there is i have so many hours of like i because so if you break it down like in the ia inter- interrogation i testified i did five hours in that interrogation room with the, that's the, how long they, it lasted Five hours for a three-minute incident yeah and then i did in front of the city uh, like admin panel i did like seven hours of testimony and then i also testified in my own trial for like five hours so it's like i have so said so much at this point on oh, under oath like officially i've talked about every single second of this um i have nothing to hide yeah um and i know like I'm not, I'm not going to say anything crazy. Like my attorneys know, I'm not going to say anything crazy or out there. Like it's just not, I have no skeletons. Like I have nothing to hide. from. There's anyone. nothing you
0: can say now that's going to even, yeah. Cause you already said Correct. it all. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I don't I, I don't like think
0: I knew that you testified. Sure. Um, so five hours.
2: Yeah. It was like, um, they did like, you know, direct, my attorney did probably like an hour and a half or a little over an hour and a half. And then the cross examination was like three and a half hours or something like that of testimony. So I've been so, on. I've
0: been cross-examined a couple times. Um, I think the hardest part is remaining calm, like when you're like not calm, calm, but you know what I mean. We're just like you're like I want to be kind of argument. Like I'm trying to prove my point that I did something correct. So was was there difficulty or was there anything you had to go through like in that mindset of like hey, like just deal with the questions no matter how like negative they are towards you.
2: Well, yeah. So like you know, other police officers, like I'm sure if you anyone that's a cop, like you've you've testified in in. Prelims or trials or whatever. And, you know, it's um, most of the time it's like you're up there for like 10 minutes, right? And um, sometimes you get in front of a, D, a defense attorney because it's, it's all, you know, it's usually the defense attorney that's going to give you a hard time. The DA is usually the one working with you. Right. Um, and, you know, you, I don't know, I, don't, I, I tell people, I'm like, when you're testifying as a cop, sometimes with the, with the defense, you can kind of like throw stuff back. You can kind of be like, you know, you can, you can dish it back. You
1: can be firm. You can be firm yeah. with them.
2: And you can also dish it back because they're going to try to, like, poke at you. They want to, like, do stuff. And, you know, it's like, whatever. You know, you're just going to be honest. and Because yeah, you're on the other side of the law. Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah. So in this situation, I had to um, be, composed. be composed. That was the biggest thing. Like, there is my train of like, because all they wanted to do was to make me look like a jerk. That's all they wanted to do. So... I just had to make sure that, and I was, I was honest, obviously, like, but I just was myself and like, I, again, had nothing to hide, but yeah, you had to like be very aware that the jury is watching you. Like not only when you're testifying, but when you're sitting there at the table, like every time someone would come up and testify and say something, it was like, they were just looking back for your, for your reaction. The jury was, so you have no matter if someone's like lying, like people were blatantly just, you know, lying essentially, or just saying ridiculous stuff you can't have a reaction. You can't like throw your hands up. You can't like huff and puff because it's not a good look and you want to stay composed. You just want to sit there, you know, and and just, you know, take it in and and do that kind of thing. But yeah, it's definitely hard when the DA is trying to get a rise out of you. Um, But at the same time, when, you know, when they're, when they're nitpicking certain stuff, it's like they're doing it because they have no fact, like they have no evidence. Right. Um, They have nothing against you. So and like I said, like I had testified so much at that point, it was like I had nothing to hide. Like and it was like they were, everything's on video. So it's like we pull a video and like you know we're watching the same thing. Like you know, and not only are we watching it, but the jury's watching it. So it's like, are you telling us that all of our eyes are like incorrect here? You know, and what we're looking at.
0: Did you uh, when you're sitting there to compose, like not, not even in the jury box, but when you're not jury box, the stand, when you're sitting there behind the table, um, try not to react to the people going on the stand. Were you, I feel like, I don't know, is my guess, but would you feel like they can like read your thoughts? Like when you're thinking like, no matter like you're on your face, I feel like like my facial expression would just show yeah. <laughs> no matter what I was thinking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They, I'm sure that they could. And it was like, there was some, my attorneys were like some reactions were okay, but like you cannot, like, you just, you just want to stay like kind of focused and like look straight ahead. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean.
0: You did that if, in the Academy. Um, I mean.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Dig that. into
0: that, get back to that mindset of just like, I'm just going to stare off the space. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> That's funny. But it's hard, especially when it's like you're, you know, your life's on the line. People are like saying ridiculous stuff and you're just like sitting there kind of gritting your teeth and trying to just put a good face on. I mean, you don't want to laugh or do anything oh, like no. that. You just, you want to, you want to be, you want to look like a genuine, you want to be genuine. You want to be composed and you want to be, you know, you want to represent yourself well.
0: I can imagine, yeah, that just going through that. I can imagine it. And then, would they tell you anything else, Christina, too? Like, would they tell you to act a certain way, or no? It was just, it was well, just.
1: I was kind of back in the galley um, where everyone else was, um, and you're kind of very limited back there. You like, you're not allowed to like nod your head or like make noises at all. So, no, I don't really think anyone cared that I was back there. Um, but I, I will just say, watching him. I mean, cause I, I, I wasn't at his IA, but I was at the admin hearing. So I watched him testify. Then I watched him testify in trial and it's like, I don't think I've ever loved him more than I did in those moments because I knew, th- I knew the pressure, the fire that, he, you know, that he was under. Um, and you know, his story has just never wavered. It's never changed. And I, and I know what's in his heart. Um, and I was just so proud of him in those moments because he was literally like staring down the devil and he won and he did so good. And it's like the truth, the truth really prevailed in our case. So it was, um, just very proud moment for me as a police
0: wife. Oh, I bet. I was really happy to see obviously the outcome. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> watch the testimony. I mean, but I, and I think I, I think I just kind of like got on your radar at the end of the trial when the trial is finishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting. I'm, I didn't know that it was even happening and I'm in Southern California, which was kind of weird. And then, so then i seeing seen like how much is out there and just trying to push it out. I think like just to get more, more focused on what you guys are trying to do now to get you back to work and get, get you back wow. higher with the department.
1: Yeah, that's
0: yeah. the goal this year. So you ended the trial in December. So a year, so a year of from you got lose your job and then, a year and then
2: later we went to trial. Yeah, it's a crazy year. I, I
0: can't imagine going through that.
2: Well, because yeah, uh, the big thing that also is like, um, through the the year of like leading up to trial, it's like the DA is like doing their work on the case, and they just keep like piling discovery like coming with evidence or new interviews. So you're, you're constantly getting hit with like, oh, like more, like more stuff, like more, more, more. So the whole year it's like, you're just waiting to go to trial and eventually hit it. But it's like a big buildup. Um, but yeah, to be on this end of it, it's obviously we're just overjoyed. We, and Yeah.
1: We talk about it. It's so like, we're happy. humans again. Like, like the entire year leading up to trial, you are not human. You are not eating or you're eating without like tasting. You're not like living. You're like, you're respirating, but you're not like breathing. And it's just like, now that we're on the other side of this, I, even I'm like, how did we do that? Because it's just like agony has been redefined. Um, and so just now I feel like just normal things are so much sweeter, like going, being able to go to the grocery store and just walk around and not have this horrible cloud over us or this like heaviness in our heart. We're just waking up every morning in our beds and just like being able to like breathe and know that we're not staring down the barrel of a gun, of prison time and, you know, criminal yeah. charges. Um, it's it's just incredible. I feel like we're like we're human again, you know mm-hmm.
0: you said you were you were locals like in La Mesa, you go you would go to the same grocery stores and stuff like kind yeah. of probably where you were enforcing doing enforcement I would oh, assume yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, all yeah. The time. so how was that um I was asked earlier I thought when you brought it up, but how was that just being walking around out of uniform and then in uniform? did you people recognize you? did you know the community both in and out of uniform? When I was when I was working, yeah
2: it was, it's, it's interesting. because like, yeah, I basically like, we did all of our, like we went to all the rest, like all of our dinners, like everything, restaurants, gas like everything went to Costco, all that stuff within the same city that I worked at. Right. So, um you know, I never got recognized out of uniform, um, but you would see people that I'm like, Oh, I just stopped that guy <laughs> like yesterday. You know what I mean? So you see, yeah. you see people, but I also feel like it's interesting because like from the public's perspective, like, I tell her all the time, like, you would never, like, a cop in uniform and out of uniform, it's so hard to differentiate, like, especially like a civilian. Yeah. You would almost never, even if you just saw them 12 hours earlier, you would almost never recognize them because you associate them with the uniform so much that to see them, like, wearing like a a t t-shirt and a hat and flip-flops, you would just, you, would, you wouldn't know.
0: Yeah, most, they no. only see the uniform, or most of the time they see the uniform. Exactly. Unless you have yeah. a person. I mean, after several years, I'm, I'm you can have like a pretty good relationship with different people. They For would sure. recognize you. Even like people you stop, you might stop on a regular basis, and they'll know, they know who you are. They see oh, yeah, you. Oh, the, yeah, the regular, yeah. like transient people and stuff like that. So but, I, I was curious if that, that ever came across your dad. So then did you, would you stay out of the city while you were going through all of this. Yeah. We,
2: well, we, moved. we moved, moved yeah. we completely out of the city. Yes, yeah, so yeah. we moved out of that. We're still in San Diego, but we definitely moved. And like, we just, I just avoid it now. Like I, I don't, I, I don't remember the last time I was in that city, to be honest with you, just mm-hmm. because it's like, it's hard for us. It's like, it's out of the way now for us too. But, um, there's obviously like a lot of emotions there. So,
0: and so now you're, now you're going waiting for the judge for your, for your case for, to get back and get hired again to get of. reinstated, back pay, um, all that stuff. Okay, so and then how long? you said April? Is when you're going to see them? So the yeah the the court date is April first. Okay, and so what do you need? What do you need right now in support to get to that point? Like what's going to help you both get to this point of like maybe the, like some people hearing it, the judge like does a judge need to hear this? Like what what needs to happen here?
1: I think, I mean, the judge is going to make whatever decision they make. Um, So it's not, we're not looking to like influence the judge. I don't think we could, even if we tried, but I think right now what we really need is for people to hear our story, get loud with us, stand shoulder to shoulder with us, because we always say like, yes, obviously we're fighting to get Matthew reinstated and just like right this horrible wrong that we've been dealing with for two years, but we're also fighting for all police families because The reality is that the climate we're living in today around policing, like what happened to us can happen to any police family. And so it's like, yes, like stand with us. If you want to buy a t-shirt and support or donate, that's incredible. We're so appreciative, but like, listen to our story and lean into it. And and there are key takeaways that can help protect other police families from going through something similar. So we're really just trying to like rally people to to stand with us and um, to help protect themselves as well.
0: And you wanted to talk about? I know you mentioned earlier the Pipehitter Foundation. There's, did you? Yeah. How did you get hooked up with them? And
1: they, um, so it's founded by Eddie and Andrea Gallagher, who um, have a similar story to ours. Eddie was a, was a retired Navy chief, so it wasn't policing, but um, his story was very public, and it happened in San Diego as well. And so, um, you know, with our fa- our parents are all military veterans, so we kind of were monitoring the Gallagher story, and then they were of course victorious. And what they did in that aftermath was create the Pipehitter Foundation. Um, which supports military first responders and their families during times of crisis, like what we're going through. Right. When you come under fire for just doing your job. So um, you know, they started their foundation. They immediately got behind our case um, and they've just been helping us pound the drum, helping us like set the record straight about Matthew's case. And also to fundraise, because as we talked about earlier, like, you know, for us, $100,000 out of pocket is a ton of money yeah. um, that we really had to scramble to mobilize. And we, we wouldn't have been able to have that money, raise that money and stay in this fight without the Pipe Hitter Foundation supporting us and all of our wonderful donors who have really like, you know, rushed in to help us. Um, and so, yeah, so they've been a really life saving resource for our family during this fight. I don't think we'd be winning without mm-hmm. Pipe Hitter and all the supporters that have really rallied around us. And re- people like you, Adam, that have like given us your platform yeah. to help us get our story out there. Um, because like I said, the reality is, is like this can happen to any police family. So it's so important to, to, to get word out there about what people need to be aware of.
0: Well, it's interesting because the, like the law enforcement groups on Instagram or Facebook or whatever they're I feel like they're huge because it's like all I see and other people see when they're in this, in this type of work, that's what you see. So you feel like, why isn't everybody seeing this? Cause I, Mm -hmm. I know you're seeing all the time, but you realize it's really not, it's really small in comparison and to getting your voice out and to keep pushing it out. It's gotta be like, it's daunting task, but you two are like, really, like, I think I really commend, I guess it'd be earlier, like commend you guys for continue to fight this on and even like get up on a Saturday morning and have this conversation. um, Because I think that's important for people to hear. And there's a lot of, like you said, takeaways and learning lessons going through this, um is there something i guess now now what you do together okay there's there's kind of three different stages i see with your relationship and i i'm curious if it's changed at all but so before the incident happened like when you guys got together during the process of fight and how like you kind of mentioned like almost like zombie like like looking back yeah. on like going through it and then now and do you see like a transformation in like how you deal with things now or how you're going to go forward or is it like do you can you recognize like this is now what i will do any type of situation like based on this, or I don't know if you can recognize those things or if there's different steps or how you would have handled this before and now how you would handle it. You know what I mean? Like any
2: yeah. challenge. No, I feel like we obviously are so much stronger from this. I mean, it's like, what can, and it's like, I'm not going to dare <laughs> yeah. the, don't the jinx universe, us. but it's like, what can happen? You know?
1: Or no, the better question is like, what could touch us now? Like yeah, we've yeah. survived yeah. literally hellfire. So, um
2: So you feel strong. Like you feel like our relationship is stronger. Yeah. Or obviously like we're, more like in touch with our own like emotions and being able to like you know mature in like such a fast way that you think you have it together and then this hit you it's like this like you need like a different level of um, strength together in your relationship because I know if I was single or something I don't I don't know what I would I don't know what I would have done and um, so yeah I mean definitely it made us stronger I think it's Enabled us to grow for our future. I know, like, down the line, some people tell me, like, you know, you're not going to recognize, like, how big of a change, like, big uh, positive changes is in your life for, like, 10, 20 years looking backwards, you know? um
1: Well, I think within the larger context of faith, like, you know, we got married in our home church we've always been people of faith. And then something like this happens. And we were talking about it earlier. I don't believe that as human beings, we're designed to carry this burden on our own. Um, and so we were kind of, we had this like baseline faith, which we thought was great at the time. We had no idea that there's all this room to really transform your faith and deepen your faith. And that is one of the positives that came out of the last two years is like our walk in faith now is just like, it was great before. It's incredible now and we never want to stop growing that. Um, and yeah, I think having gone through something so horrific and traumatic and having to lean on your faith and grow in your spirituality, when we look forward, because life is not perfect, right? The human experience is we're going to experience hardship and bad things are going to happen. That's just normal. Um, so looking forward, I think that's just like, that's our mindset for anything is like, we just have to root down in our faith, give it to God, pray, um, and really just trust like his will is going to play out the way that it needs to. And that sometimes will supersede what we think we want or need. Um, so it's a completely different mindset going forward based on what we've, what we've learned the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, you could see the transformation. I mean, you both seem really confident and strong in where you're coming from, but I know you had to go through a lot and I, I can imagine, you know, before this, you probably, you wouldn't have known where to start. So like just getting where you are now has got to be, it's, it's a huge yeah. change for anybody. I don't
1: think we realized before then that there was like room to grow. We were just like, well, we got married in our church and we pray and we're people of faith. We didn't realize there was this whole other dimension of like truly walking in faith. And we know that now.
0: Yeah, I really, I mean, like I said, I commend both of you. And I, I'm just, like, there's a couple of things I was curious about. So when you get reinstated, um, I'm, I'm saying you're going to get reinstated. We're going to throw positive vibes out here. So when you get reinstated, how do you foresee, like, if walking in, do you picture, the like, the reaction from the people that are at this department? I mean, I don't know. Have you met- mentally gone through this in your head? I feel like you've had
2: to. I've thought about it a lot. And it's like, I just, you know, there was times where it's like you want to you know, I don't know. It's just, it's, I, you know, I've thought about it a lot and I, I can't even like, I, I, I can see it happening, but I can't process like what my mind would even be thinking. I feel like it'd be like such a mind, like it'd just be like my mind would be spinning. Um, I definitely like, don't want to like, I wouldn't want to shove it in anyone's face, you know, or like, you know, use it as like a F you to anyone. I think it's like, this is like, I'm doing what anyone in this position would be doing any cop should be doing fighting for their, their livelihood, fighting for their family. Um, and I would think that anyone in that same department would do exactly what I'm doing too. So, um, to me, there's no hard feelings, you know. I know that, like, obviously my eyes are open to certain things, um, but yeah, I couldn't even, I can't, I need to, like, really <laughs> so I would need to soak it in for sure. Like, it would be a, a, a minute where I need to just, like, take some time and, like, Thank God, and just be grateful. But yeah, I mean, we're confident. We're very confident that it's going to go our way. That um, like, once a judge sees it, and like, you know, a judge knows the case law, lo- knows case yeah. law, knows like the legal system, and knows how police work, and knows how all this stuff happens, and sees stuff on a regular basis, and you know that they're going to be like, okay, this hopefully do the right thing. Especially now that you know things are changing in society a little bit. This like the um the pendulum is moving back a little bit people are waking up to hey like you know this went a little bit too far in general across the country the police stuff and um i think it's time like you said to like for people to make things like this right you know to just admit like hey this was not correct and to not double down on it being wrong but to just make it right and move forward and move on and just let let
1: our family start healing let like the community heal because this every time there's an update in our case you know, it's headline news. And it's like, we just want to move forward and heal and close this chapter. And I know the community does as well. And it's like, we can't until we get that reinstatement. And so our goal of course is, you know, Matthew back in uniform in 2022. So we're, mm-hmm. we're very confident.
0: That's good. Uh So I usually, I ask like, I'm usually asking like, what would you suggest for people? We kind of talked about it already. What would you suggest for people going through something similar or even crisis? And we talked about the idea of fighting and, you know, getting, obviously there's grief, but then fighting, I'm, I'm curious now where you two see yourselves in like 10 years when you ever you oh. thought about like that, where you see yourselves in the future.
2: I don't know. I think we definitely want to like, we've talked about like this whole thing continuing for us in some capacity. It's like we're we've been uh, made aware of like so many other police families going through mm-hmm. similar situations or just police officers that are like, have similar stories and you know, we want to make sure that this doesn't happen to any other police families, like the doxing stuff, like how the IA processes work, how like the railroading, like the political stuff, like there's, there's really like some major changes that could be made, or at least the awareness that can be given to like a lot of young police officers and even like police officers that have been on for like 10 years that, you know, that's like, this can happen to any single one of us and quite honestly, like it could have, this, what happened to me isn't specific to me. It just so happened to that. It happened to me on that day, but it could have happened to any other officer that day.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and it would have played out the same way as if it happened to any other officer. Right. So.
1: And so kind of, as we look to close out our chapter, like what Matthew's saying is like, none of, none of this hell that we've had to walk through, none of it makes sense unless we're using everything we've learned to help other police families. And so I don't know exactly what things will look like in 10 years, but our, It's an
0: arbitrary number. It could be 20, 30, I mean, 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 yeah, whatever in the future, in the future, in this bright future that we're going to look for. For sure. I mean,
1: we hope to be parents and start our own family and move forward in that respect, but also just like we're going to be giving back to the law enforcement community and using our platform and and our knowledge and our resources to help other families who get caught, you know, caught up in these like political battles just for doing their jobs. Because like Matthew says, it's like today it's us. And tomorrow, next week, 10 years from now, it's going to be another family. And like, like I said, and it just, everything we've learned, everything we went through doesn't make sense if we're not helping other cop families. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I like that. And, um, I was, um, I don't know, I was going to say something and I kind of like lost my, I lost my train of thought listening to you guys talk, but I'm imagining like your future, like just helping other people. Like you're talking about how even like the pipe hitter foundation created something out of some, out of some negativity. And then now they created something great that's helping you and you can put, pass that on which I think is amazing. Um, so I want to just restate like where we can help you. So we can help you. It's at clear officer Dagus, D-A-G-E-S.
1: Yes. On Facebook, Instagram, we're recently on Gitter as well. What's that? Um, Gitter. It's, it's a new social media platform. We're just learning about it as well. It's new, I
0: don't know. We're just yeah. on all the platforms. Did you create a platform? <laughs> I don't
1: know. Yeah. No. Um, but so yeah, so clear officer Dagus on all social media. Um, the link in the bio will take you to different ways that you can help not just support us in our fight, but just support our larger fight to protect law enforcement families.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Yeah, and follow us because we're always post like we're posting every day there. Um, posting updates, updates, case updates. It's not just like, it's not memes. We're not posting memes. <laughs> <like> that,
0: <but laughs> oh, one thing funny. I realized what I was going to say, and I think this is important. We talked about it earlier, but the, the IA process, you talked about the fact that um, people, it's like hush, hush, like people get disciplined or get off time or whatever. And it's hush, hush. And that's something I really want to do. And you're welcome to come on anytime if you want to talk about it again. But just the idea of like the process to help younger officers understand it and bring light to um, the 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 stigma behind it and what you feel going through it. Because I really think that people don't understand the process. And when they do, they feel shut out. And then people usually diss it themselves and don't talk about it. It's in when your head. head all the time.
2: Yeah, that you're right. I mean, I remember like right when I essentially was told that it was going to happen, like one of the most senior guys at the department pulled me in a room and was like, Hey, like, this is what's going to happen. Like be prepared for it. He's like starting tomorrow. No one's going to talk to you like straight up. And he's, and he was being honest and like, I I appreciate that because I, I needed to understand that he's like starting tomorrow. No, one's going to talk to you. People that you think are your friends, they're not your friends. Don't talk to and don't talk to anyone either because he's like people that you think your friends are not. And, but that's true. It's like you, when you get in a situation like that, everyone moves away. Right. Um, Cause nobody wants to get pulled in. Nobody wants to get in, involved. Everyone wants to just back away. And then the people that are in trouble or that are dealing with something, they're also scared to talk to anyone because you're like, well, who's, who are they talking to? Right. You know?
1: Yeah. And you very quickly become like on an Island by yourself. It's very isolating.
0: I think it was important to, for anyone that has friends going through this stuff is that you it's, you guys are going through it. Like you're going through all this, all this emotional trauma and ups and downs and I think it's important to reach out. So even if it's just the idea of like calling and saying hey, or texting sure. or whatever, hey, like is can he, you want to talk? You want to just say hi, or whatever. You don't have to talk talk about the case. Don't worry about all the IA stuff. Just to say, hey, how are you holding up? Because I think yeah, that's important. Yeah, right. It's important to, to we do that for each other. I mean, I can imagine if more people would have done that for you, how you would have felt a little more support. Even if it wasn't like, hey, I, maybe I don't want to touch the IA stuff, but just to say, hey, how are you yeah. doing?
2: 100% it's like it's super and that's something I understand now it's like and I try to do for other guys that I know are going through stuff as right now too it's like just to reach out and check in and not to talk not to talk police stuff just to right. be like, hey, or did you did you see this movie yet did you watch the, like did you do this or hey let's go grab a beer later like what are you doing like let's hang out and just because like that's super important because everyone that's going through it until you're going through it you really don't know but everyone that's going through it really they're by themselves right and um you got all this stuff swirling in your head. So yeah, reaching out is like number one. Um that like is like the biggest. uh, it raises you up because you get to like be with your your friends, people yeah. understand.
0: Yeah, I I think that would really reach a lot of people. Um, so next time we'll talk, we we won't talk about police stuff at all.
1: <laughs> talk about
0: going camping or something. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a good interview. I really appreciate you coming on and hopefully yeah. um, like we can get this out. Um, I'll put it on uh, YouTube. I'll put it on um, the uh, let's grab a cup podcast, which is on Apple and Spotify and you can get on the website, let's grab a um, You can find me. I'll try to push this out on Instagram, AP underscore sturgeon or at let's grab a cup. And then um, it's at uh, clear officer Dagas and then any other Instagram or Use just Instagram, Facebook, and glitter, 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 Gitter. All right. Well, yee- thanks. Yee. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to do this little outro music thing here and see how it goes. And then I'll stop the recording. Thanks again, guys.
1: Thanks, thanks Adam. You.